3: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're so glad you're here. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, And as always, I am joined by my co-hostess with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How you doing?
4: You know, <laughs> it's, it's been a week. Um, <laughs> I just want to start this one uh, with just a, a shout out to parents, uh teachers, Sure. Anyone who has pets, anyone who puts up with children or animals and does so calmly, ever just, so coolly. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I just, I love my children. There's, of course I do. We uh, we all love our children in our own sure. way. Sure. Uh, we had an out of town football game. And we had to take our, our youngest two. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure that they're happy and content in the car. Yeah. It was about a five-hour drive there and back. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to plan. Like, I'm going to pack a bunch of activities that they do. Uh, and then we make an a-, a pit stop halfway And then I'll give them like a little sneaky surprise. Here's a treat. Here's an extra little tiny activity surprise. Cute. And then we get to the the game. And then my middle son was actually playing in the game. So my youngest basically just, here's a tablet. Enjoy your YouTubes. Uh, (laughs) And then on the way home, it was like, you know what? They can have their YouTubes on the way home. Uh, And then we hit the hour pit stop. And then it's, here's a mom's pulled out. Here's fun treats to snack on on the way home, whatever. I went out the night before. I spent like an hour at a store trying to like pick certain things out to make this a big thing. They're really into like cards right now. So I went and bought like Pokemon cards and hockey cards and football cards. And I went through them after they went to bed. I opened the packs and I sorted them to make sure they each got like the teams that they liked the best and stuff like that. So that in the backseat, you hear like, a the Steelers. And I'm like, what are the odds that the kid in my car who loves the Steelers happened to get the Steelers cards? So I do all of this. And it's like in some of the activities, it's like, here's paper and markers, whatever. But I kept those kids. They were happy. They were quiet. They had a great time. There was no complaining about the length of the trip. There was no any of that. We get home. We're in the door. Two minutes. Like we... Unlock the door, open it. The kids go in first. We come in. I'm taking my shoes off. And my five-year-old comes up to me and goes, ah, I'm bored. (laughs) 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 To which I said, ah, I've got a great activity planned. You go into bed (laughs) is what I said. Because it was late by that point. But it was like, love you so much. But are you kidding me, fucker? You're bored now? (laughs) Like, I I probably would have, like, swerved into the ditch if he had said it in the car, but to hear it when it's like, are you kidding me? I put in so much effort to go get stuff and compile the things we had at the house and magically pack it all together, and here's these two bags that have your names on it with numbers one and two, and they were like, why does it say number one? I went... Well, because maybe there's a number two coming up, and then that just led the magic and the excitement. And then in the end, it ends with, I'm bored. You're in your own home. You entertain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just entertained you for like 10 hours. It's your turn. Pick up the slack, bud. Pick up the slack.
3: Yeah. You know? Well, it's also funny because it, it's like you do, you haven't even given yourself a chance to get bored. Like you've only been in the house for 30 seconds.
4: No. And that was my moment where I just went, okay, yeah. Okay, great. Time for bed. And when he kind of complained, I just <laughs> did like a, do you know, I haven't been bored in well over a year. I'd love to be bored. Let me <laughs> be bored. <laughs> yep. He, of course, has no clue what I'm talking about, but I'm like, just kids. Animals, I know animals don't understand English, but animals, too, just appreciate when people do stuff. And if oh, they, Even yeah. if they do something small, don't turn around and go, what else you got? It's like, <laughs> no, no. I gave you what I got. Yeah. Uh,
3: they- and you've been enjoying it, is the other thing. You've, you've enjoyed been- what I've
4: given you. Yeah. And then we get home, and uh-oh, no more fun prizes, and suddenly we're bored, and it's like, kick rocks, man. <laughs> To my sweet five year old, kick rocks. Like, just listen.
3: What I hear is a mother who just goes above and beyond, and all she wants is a thanks. Would it have killed them? Thanks, Ma. Thanks, Ma. Have
4: killed them.
3: You're not asking for a handwritten GD card. You're just asking for a pat on the back and a thanks,
4: Ma. That was fun. Yeah. And I love that now thinking about it, I know when we record, I tend to. You know our new quote of uh we just captain Holt, we close our eyes just memory it erases. uh I'm fairly certain the last episode we recorded I started it with a this is a story of how much one of my children said he appreciates me.
3: you did <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah, yeah, uh-huh uh she she swings wildly from one way to the other um but that's 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 kids in a nutshell, yeah, you get I heard. You have moments where you're like, oh, that's beautiful. And then moments where you're like, he opened a chocolate pudding in his lunchbox and zipped it up and (laughs) carried it home. And you opened that landmine. I almost threw out that lunch kit. So, like, there's just so many things that kids do that, and pets too. So it's just, I salute anyone who has to put up with shit like that. Is what I'm saying.
3: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. yes. I mean, I've got, you know, I've got three creatures in this house yeah. uh, that I care for. Of course. On a daily basis. Uh, the two dogs, the cat, and um Fox is is a is a toxic relationship. <laughs> I don't know how much I've talked about this on the show before, yeah. but he is toxic. He yeah. he withholds love and he, does. he will kiss someone else while looking me in the eye. He knows what he's doing. He, he does. Knows. And along the lines of what you're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, he has a lot of needs medically. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> medically, the dog has a lot going on. And so there is a series of timed medications and specific foods and all of the above. And I'm, of course, <clears throat> a very uh, attentive dog mother, of course. cat mother. And I uh, try to go above and beyond. And so the lengths I had to go through to get this new dog food, it is, here's what I'd like to say to to the dog food industry. If a dog needs a vet food, like the food that you can only get at the vet. Sure. And you require me to get a prescription for that food and that I have to then mail to you. I'm not going to out the company because I don't want to get into that. But that sure. to me there has to be a better way. I I it was one of those things where I was like, I'm just trying to get my dog this extremely overpriced vet food so that he can continue <laughs> to live for as long as these medications are keeping him alive. He's not a well dog, sure. ladies and gentlemen. Um and people uh, and it was just one of those things where it was like, I was Michael Douglas falling down a adjacent. <laughs> like, I was very close to Shh. being like, I, sell me the fucking food. Like, I was, <laughs> I was just like, I, I am just trying to give you currency. What am I gonna do with it? Am I gonna sell it on the black market? Like, what are people doing? If I was ordering 500 cans of it, sure, then maybe you want to double check, but I was just trying to order one case, 24 cans I'm a first-timer. And now, here's the other thing. I don't have any refills. So when that food starts to run out, I'm going to have to get a new prescription. And there's a whole system where they can call your vet and have them verify. But then they do sometimes call, sometimes they don't. It's a whole (sighs) flawed system is the point. And what I want to say to that is, I am just trying to feed my emotionally abusive dog (laughs) the food he needs to sustain his life. Can you please help a mother out?
4: I was bitching about being bored. Um, I have never heard of a system where you need a vet prescription to get food? To get food. Now, you also need them, because
3: here's the other thing. We're gonna get into it, all right? Look, I'm I'm already a glass and a half in, and uh, let's just get into it for a second. (laughs) We're not going to bring the room down too much, but my dog, I did learn this past summer, he had an incident and he is in congestive heart failure, which is terminal. The good news is, is that we are, again, I have got him on the diet, the medications, everything, and we are we are soaking up all of our time together. It's That is a silver lining. But here's, again... It's not funny, but you gotta laugh because it's like, what are the chances? So it's like, there's this, you know, again, you have to time his medications. There's these very specific medications that they need. <laughs> but again, you have to laugh. It's not funny, but you have to laugh. But the vet's literally like, if nothing else, ensure that he gets the Pimobendin. Okay, the Pimobendin is... It's imperative. This is what's going to keep the fluid kind of going through his system. Um, you know, this is, you know, this is, again, like, this is his life force. Now, you should know that there is a nationwide shortage on Pimo <laughs> I'm like, what? They're like, so we have these pills we can give you, but they are <laughs> far too large for your dog. So, uh, and they're also not pills. They're kind of, like, shaped like footballs. So I like an asshole, twice a day, I'm there with like a pill cutter, razor blades, et cetera. They're like, it's imperative that the dosage is exact. So you have to try and make sure that you're cutting these football shaped pills into quarters to give to the dog. But I don't need to tell you, that ain't easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh so, my God. <laughs> yes, so then on top of it, they're like, hey, but know this. Keep refreshing the different online prescribers because there's different online pharmacists like Chewy and, and sites like that where if you have a prescription, you can order your vet pills. Your vet vetmeds.com I think is one. I don't know. This is not an ad. Trust me, it's not an ad. Um, but you can you can get them filled there. And they were like, and if you can find his dosage of pimobendan available, stock up. <laughs> I'm like, what, Can, What? now do I have to appeal to the, to the dog pharmaceutical companies and say, uh. well, we're just trying to keep our dogs alive. Can you please just crank out some more pills, please? Um, I'm sure it's pandemic related and supply chain related and all of the above, because I know that there's lots of businesses that are going through those things. But, but point being is, is that, yeah, so you have to, and this is the other thing is that They can either call the vet or you have to mail them the prescription. And I don't trust the mail. What if it gets lost in transit? And then I was emailing with one of the representatives from this one company who was like, well, you can send it, but there's going to be turnaround time. How many pills do you have at home? How long are they going to last you? And I was like, thank you, Sharon. Yes, I am stressed (laughs) about running out of the Pimo Benden. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyways, I guess what I'm saying is, is that you started this with a charming story about your five-year-old, and now I'm talking about my dying dog and the stress I go through just trying to keep him fed and medicated. So, yeah, I
4: relate. <laughs> uh, what I'm learning is, uh, board's not so bad. Like, <laughs> it could have been worse.
3: Let it go. Oh, no, no, no,
4: no. Um,
3: it's all relative. It's all relative. Oh,
4: God. And look, if you want me to try and get that food and. Send it may it to come you, to that.
3: It might, all jokes I'll aside, it, it might come to that. I have, I, have <laughs> I have about 45 days worth. How do you know? How do I know exactly? Because I'm hoarding slash rationing Pimo Bendon, <laughs> the dog's life force. It's again, it's just like. Every la- layer of this feels like I'm in Mad Max or Waterworld and it's like they're just, it's just, again, I'm just trying to do my best. I'm just trying to keep them alive well, I, for whatever I time think, I can.
4: I you think know. you're doing great. Thanks. You're doing doing—you're doing better <laughs> like- than most. And you say, uh, you've said multiple movies, but there was a brief moment where you were talking about it and you were doing this like, it's just like... And I was, I'm like, oh, she's gone full Madeline Kahn right now.
3: Flames on the side of my face. And yeah. I say
4: that uh, because that was my movie pick last night. Hey! And I will say, I mean, her line when someone, oh, I I think the butler asked, it. oh, I don't remember who asked her, but somebody asked her, how many husbands have you had? And she was like, Minor other some, women's. Yeah, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Like, I. Mine full, are other women's. Uh,
3: five, just the five. It's, Men are like Kleenex, soft, strong, and disposable. I can do the whole movie. I won't. <laughs> now, that's
4: an episode of Patreon I would like.
3: It's oh just, my God. It's just me it's just, watching yeah. it. And I'm just doing it from the, from the top.
4: It's the easiest episode to record for me.
3: Yep. You're just there <laughs> laughing. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. I just like the, the the chaos that that we've started this episode with. It should also be noted, dear listeners, yeah. we are recording this while Los Angeles, California is having a unprecedented thunderstorm. Like, it, it rarely rains here. I can't remember the last time we had rain, and this is like... Thunder like I've never heard in my life, like lasting 20 to 30 seconds at a time. And the dogs are going crazy. And I I was like, well, I guess we, we'll just go and see what happens. Um, <clears throat> but what I love is that I feel like, because this week's episode, of course, is Edgar Allan Poe, who I will admit I don't know a lot about, but it does feel like if at some point you hear rumbling... It is thunder. You're not hearing things.
4: <laughs> it's not and one it of our like sound guys in the back with a big old yeah. timey saw. <laughs> or a sheet of metal trying to make the sound for ambiance. It's
3: not ambiance. <laughs> uh, but it felt like it's
4: setting, the, it's setting the mood. It's setting the tone. Oh, 100%. And I would yeah. like it to be known. We don't have sound guys. We don't not, like in Lauren's no, our sound guy. Anymore. You know, like you are. Any anytime I need a jingle or a sound, you're there. If if I needed, we
3: don't have a we don't have an active sound guy.
4: Right. Like if we needed a lightning sound, you'd make it happen. Again. Now I'm like, well, see, now I don't need to. I don't need to immediately check Amazon for sheets of metal.
3: Uh yeah. Also technically, I mean lightning it doesn't make a sound, but
4: I this isn't the You're timer right. Place. You're right. This you're isn't right. The Time or place. No, Why? you're right. Why? No, you're Why? right. Because someone else will. And I'd rather it be you. <laughs> you know what? That's you're what right. I thought. You're that's right. what
3: I thought. I was like, we're gonna get a note. We're gonna yeah. get a note that's like, actually it's thunder that makes the yeah. sound, not I the meant, lightning.
4: I meant the thunder. I knew. I'm mentally unwell. <laughs> Again, like Again, we used to record these on Fridays and it's become, we're lucky to get a Monday (laughs) because it's just, granted, it's not, this episode isn't going out tomorrow. This episode is still a week early, but for the sake of like editing, it's got to get done. And we're just, we're just doing our best to exist. (laughs) (laughs) Point in time. Yeah. And I mean I I think the people should know um for the sake of how kind of like frantic and all over the place we are I think they they won't they won't want to think about it because I need to believe by the time this ep- episode comes out it will have been fixed. But today's the day that Instagram went down. And I don't need to tell you how much reels calm me. But if I <laughs> I need, I need videos of a sassy guy that's like, I can't remember his name, Uh, but there's this guy, fuck, he's so funny, Um, where he did like a, there's a, a him and doing like a, a TikTok like s- duet or whatever. And it was a guy and he reached across the camera, pulled this can of whipped cream across and suddenly he's topless and he's making like a Starbucks drink and the guy was like, what? what i i was just what what and it was like a solid minute of him doing that and i was like i get it i get it and i respond to it and i love it um and there are just very specific people whose reels that i see that like bring me to a mental state of normalcy and yeah. um i didn't get that today uh <laughs> i also <laughs> slightly snapped on my husband for when I saw, uh, when I was like, wait, Instagram's down. And he's like, oh yeah, Facebook too. And I was like, uh, okay, Facebook is upsetting, but like Instagram is a problem. Like that's a problem for me. And he was like, oh, as far as I'm concerned, I hope they never come back. And I was not. I did not handle that like an adult, <laughs> is what I'm saying. And I was like, oh no, I have th- so many things to post on our account today, and I can't, and I haven't been able to. I posted one thing on Twitter, but I'm like, I've got, I haven't been able to post that case file for the episode that actually comes out tomorrow. Because right. that's been down. I've been able to look on it now and I can like posts, but it was still won't let me post anything personally.
3: It erased all my inbox for a while. Today. When it when it came back, it, all my messages were gone, and then I was able to send one because I realized that there's people in my life that I don't have other ways of contacting, which is I, I know a whole other conversation, but any or that's the, the that's the method that is normally used. Sure. And then I sent a message, and then I knew they had responded, but it wasn't showing up in my inbox. Oh. So then I had to go into the True Crime and Cocktails account, yeah, and and look at it that way because I again. Long story short, too late. Here's the deal. We're Instagram enthusiasts. And you know what? I don't feel bad about it. And I'll tell you why. This is going along the lines. And I think we talked about this last week <laughs> when we talked about the pumpkin spice lattes. I think yeah. we talked about it then. If I don't, Did we? Who knows? They all blur together. But the whole point was is that, yes, you can say that's basic. That's whatever. Yeah. Who cares? We like what we like. Yeah. You like watching your reels? I like to scroll. I like to fall asleep yeah. to my TikToks. And who gets hurt? Nobody. Nobody. Oh, but you know who gets, who gets hurt <laughs> when it goes when it goes
4: away? Us. Us. Yeah. <laughs> it's been it's been a day. I was more upset about not being able to post because I'm like the people the people are counting on me. This is what they're expecting and it's like they understand because it's all of it. It's everywhere. It's Instagram's just down for the day. But I I need to believe it's going to be better so that hearing this, they'll be like, I don't even want to think about it. As opposed to, we know it hasn't been back since. Oh God, we'll have reverted to cave people by then. <laughs> I'm going to have to reach out to these various people whose reels I watch and be like, can you just, can you FaceTime me something funny? <laughs> I just need, there's a few uh, that I that I just, I really enjoy and it's like, I I need that. And I didn't know, but I just, those ones where they're sitting there and they throw a shoe in the air and they catch it on their foot and suddenly they're wearing a completely different outfit and they're usually like a super hot guy that's like a firefighter or something. I can't believe I don't have one of those today. <laughs> just let me have one. <laughs> I'm learning to save them.
3: Hear my plea on behalf of True Creme and Cocktails, the True Crew, and me, Lauren Ash. Yeah. You are killing Blanche. (laughs) And we cannot have that. Our community will never be the same. All right? Christy has already been impacted, but if you hurt Blanche, (laughs) (laughs) hashtag True Crew will find you is all I'm saying.
4: Yeah. Those, if I could think of exactly the name of that medication that you had said... What was it? Like pectobendin? Pimobendin, P- 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 yeah. Pimo Pimobendin. Well, those videos are Blanche's Pimo Pimobendin. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand they're in short supply today. Yeah. But what I need is you to step it up because she's got a prescription and I need it filled. I just, just let me have my silly videos. That's, it, it's very calming. It just. Yes. It makes me feel better. Let me have this. And I don't know why Instagram and Facebook had to get intertwined to begin with. I'm sure that has nothing to do with it. But the point is, Uh, well, if it it has something to do with it, Zuckerberg fix it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, we got to get into the episode. But what I will say is is that it's interesting that that 60 Minutes came out yesterday with the Facebook whistleblower, which I have not watched yet. uh, And then this happened today. That's all I'm saying. Is it connected? Who knows? I'm speculating, alleging. I'm not saying anything as a fact, but it just seems like it's an interesting coincidence if it is a coincidence, which
0: I don't know if it is a coincidence.
3: Uh, before we get into it, what you drinking over there?
4: Oh, fuck. I couldn't do alcohol today. <laughs> That's a healthy choice. And you know why? Because I haven't had my calming reels. Uh, so I'm just, a, I'm just a water and way too much sugar in a Slurpee. Because what's listen, better for my frantic all over the place? What's the word forks? I don't remember. I forget words all the time. Um, what's better for that brain than pump it full of sugar?
3: Yeah. I mean, listen, what I like is that you're you're like, hey, my brain isn't so good today. I'm going to make a healthy choice and not drink because that's probably healthier for my brain. Well, I'm half a bottle in <laughs> To this Oyster Bay Sauvignon Blanc. So we both make decisions. You make good ones, I make bad ones. And that's just how it is.
4: I like that you called this ginormous, no one needs this much sugar in a day, let alone on top of whatever other sugar I've had today, a healthy choice. I like
3: that. I like that. And that, dear listeners, is why I refer to myself as an enabler. Okay, so... (laughs) I'm kidding. I think it, I, no, but I, you know, I think it's, I'm also sweating. My energy is so all over the map. I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm sweating like a stuck pig. I don't understand that expression also. No, it's bleeding like a stuck pig. It's a oh, terrible expression by the oh, way. Animal was... cruelty. I don't, why am I, I'm going to take it out of my vernacular. Huh,
4: I didn't I'm know it was... Stop
3: saying that. Is yeah. it bleeding? It's bleeding. Yeah. And also ah. the poor pig. So oh, we're going to erase, erase that one. I'm, I'm getting rid of it from from my life now, as of now. We're talking about Edgar Allan Poe in this episode of the show, and that is, of course, this month's Patron's Poll Pick. What is that all about? Well, if you go over to Patreon, patreon.com slash cocktails, we have a subscription-based service there where we offer bonus episodes, monthly live Q&As that are three hours long. It is a whole bundle of fun. Um, there's often uh, sneak peeks at merch. Like our, our Halloween merch that we're both, we both wore today, which was not planned. How no. cute are we? Uh, truecrewmerch.com. The only place to get True Crime and Cocktails merch. Check her out, is the point. Uh, so yeah, so every month uh, our patrons get to vote on an episode of the show. And this month's choice was Edgar Allan Poe, which I'm excited about. Because again, I don't know a lot about this person or why this person is True Crime
4: adjacent. So I'm excited. Yeah. I knew nothing going in. Well, I knew, like, I know who he is or who he was, I should say. Uh, But I, yeah, I was also like, oh, I don't think that's anything. And I think ages ago we had people ask us about it. And then I did like a brief look and was like, okay. And I put it on a poll and was like, let's see what happens. And the first thing I learned is Alan is spelt with two A's. Um, I misspelled it on the October newsletter. I put A-L-L-E-N because I was unwell mentally for another reason that day.
3: <laughs> Listen, we're just two women getting by. <laughs> two yep. women getting by. That should be the slogan of this show. True cream and cocktails, <laughs> two women getting by.
4: <laughs> I like that a lot. Me too. It sums it up so nicely.
3: (laughs) Here we go. Dear listeners, Edgar Allan Poe. American author and poet Edgar Allan Poe is well known for his macabre writing style as seen in his most popular work, The Raven. After witnessing the deaths of multiple family members, including his wife and mother, Poe's life headed in a downward spiral. At the age of 40, Poe was found delirious on the streets of Baltimore. He was taken to a hospital where he remained incoherent before his death just four days later. So what happened to Edgar Allan Poe? Was he the victim of a random assault? Was his death politically motivated? And why was he found wearing
4: someone else's clothing? Well, I'm in. She forgets simple words like forks, but she comes out with shit like macabre. (laughs) I women getting by. I I am so sure I do not use that term in my notes at all. But again, I finished them off today and I couldn't tell you what's in there. I'm well, what's nice is that we're gonna
3: discover it together.
4: I think that's what my brain is doing. My brain's like, give her a treat. Let them go on this journey together. Who knows what'll happen? And the answer is, I don't know. Uh, But I'm going to start this off. I have to say, (laughs) so my plan when I was making notes, I always try and I want to keep it cohesive. So I choose how I'm going to speak of the main person we're speaking of. I tend to go with first names. Uh and sometimes you just go last name, like with the Gacy episode. It was like, no, that's too familiar. He's Gacy and we're moving on. So this one I was like, oh, I'll just uh you know what? It just feels right. For some reason, I'll just call him Poe for the entire episode. But then I started writing my notes and realized, oh, apparently I'm calling him Edgar. And I just am too lazy to go through all my notes and change it, so he's just Edgar. And I know that feels a little too familiar, but um, it is what it is. Just two women getting by.
3: Getting by. I like it because Poe makes me think of Star Wars.
4: Oh yeah. See, I don't get that. Yeah. Is that an is that a new person? It is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So so that would be like the last 3 movies? Yeah. Which are Have you watched those? Oh, no. I <laughs> I've I've seen the very very first one. That's
3: right. This is this is your Harry Potter. That's yes. right.
4: Be- yes. Yeah. Oh, and I've only Which seen is because it because
3: I've never seen the Harry Potter. Yes. Is what I mean. Uh
4: yeah. because my middle son was like one day was like someone at school likes Star Wars and we're like did you want to try it and he was like I do. And so we sat down and watched it with him. And I don't think he was as into it. I think if we maybe let him try, like, the newer ones or whatever, he might. But some of his quotes during that movie, oh, God, were amazing. I think my favorite was, huh, so a lightsaber is really hot. (laughs) And then the quote, I think, good God, I think he was, like, eight, maybe at the time, maybe nine. Uh, And then the quote of, I don't know why they call it Star Wars. Star Wars. It's set in space, so why isn't it called Space Wars? I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> that makes so much sense to me. But, like, oh, God, it killed me. Uh, and, yes, I know it's shocking that I've never seen them. I, I, uh, yeah, I've got no reason for it. I'm interested I know there's so much backstory, and I know I would need to watch them all. I don't have time for that. I watch Harry Potter eighty five thousand times, but I don't have time for you know. Well, uh, I would be interested in the newer three because I know they're the three that are in the middle that are technically the first three. I don't see that already. I'm confused. You don't need
3: to. Those aren't important.
4: They're kind of like mm-hmm, you know you don't need, in that you world. Can,
3: we can. Yeah, we don't need to.
4: But the first they don't three exist I as far as I'm concerned, and the last three I should see. Yeah. And when I say last, are they officially done or they're going to be like, they're probably going to come back?
3: I would also say Rogue One, but this is a con- this is a bigger conversation because if we're going to start talking Star Wars, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. Uh, so yeah, We don't we'll have look. time. <laughs> we don't have time.
4: We're just getting by. Oh, my God. If we could come up with a Harry Potter Star Wars mashup podcast. Don't tease them
3: because we're going to start to get letters <laughs> saying,
4: where is it? You're right. You're right. And we haven't come through with the science podcast or the Golden Girls podcast. And to that, I say, dear listeners, do you want 85 podcast from us or do you want one that's well done? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. We're just two women getting by. I'm getting by. All right. We are going to start with the Poe family, specifically because there were a few things that come up every once in a while when I researched that. I was like, That's weird. I wonder if anyone else finds it weird. And then I just force it on everyone. That's how it works. I like it. So Elizabeth Arnold, better known as Eliza, was born in London in the spring of 1787. Hmm. Her mother was an actress and her father, Henry, died when Eliza was only two years old. Eliza and her mother sailed to the United States in November 1795 and arrived in Boston, Massachusetts on January 3rd, 1796. Can you imagine that boat ride? That's a beast. Uh, Three months after their arrival, Eliza made her stage debut at the age of nine in David Garrick's Miss in her teens, (laughs) which doesn't sound enjoyable. Mm. Uh, Around 1798, Eliza's mother died, so Eliza stayed with her mother's theater troupe and traveled from city to city. It is believed that over the course of her career, Eliza played about 300 different parts, including that of Juliet and Ophelia. In the summer of 1802, 15-year-old Eliza married Charles Hopkins. Unfortunately, Charles died three years later in October 1805 of what many believe to have been yellow fever. Months later, David Poe Jr. saw Eliza performing with a theater troupe in Norfolk, Virginia. David was so taken with her that he decided to abandon his family's plans for him to study law and join Eliza's acting troupe. David and Eliza married in 1806, just six months after the death of her first husband. Things worked a little faster back then. (laughs) Yeah, it's just what it is. But I just love that he's like, she's hot. God, I guess I'm an actor now. Like, I just love, (laughs) he really went for it. I don't love him uh, later because, Jesus. Uh, On January 30th, 1807, the couple welcomed a son named William Henry Leonard. And on January 19th, 1809, they welcomed their second son, Edgar. It is said that Eliza performed until 10 days before Edgar's birth, And at the time, the performance was William Shakespeare's King Lear, which has a character named Edgar, so maybe that's where the name choice came from, we don't know. The couple also knew a man in the theater world named Edgar, so it's possible he was the namesake, we don't know for sure. The Poe family relocated to New York in the summer of 1809. At this point, Eliza was praised for her acting ability, while David's performances were often criticized harshly. It has been said that he had terrible stage fright and was, quote, an ill-tempered alcoholic. And maybe he was jealous of his wife's talents, or maybe he was just a shitty human being. But either way, about six weeks after the family arrived in New York, David chose to completely abandon his family. No one is sure whatever happened to David, although some have claimed there is evidence that he died in Virginia December 11th, 1811. In December 1810, Eliza gave birth to a daughter, Rosalie. But since David was out of the picture by mid-1809, Rosalie's paternity is a bit unclear. Right. Eliza continued to support her three young children as they traveled with her acting troupe. In 1811, while performing in Richmond, Virginia, Eliza began spitting blood. Her performances became less frequent until October, when she stopped appearing altogether. Eliza performed for the last time in a play called The Stranger on October 11, 1811. During Eliza's illness, her nurse later claimed that Eliza would often give her children bread that had been soaked in gin, and on occasion other alcohols, and while this may seem outrageous to us now, at the time it was commonplace to use alcohol to calm children who were upset.
3: Well, the next time your kids are bored.
4: <laughs> I was going to say, Mom, uh, I'm bored. Ah, uh, Here's gin. Uh, gin's a terrible choice. Bless you if you can handle gin. Lord knows yeah, I can't. Me neither. Uh, it's also believed that sometimes Eliza would give her children laudanum, uh, which is like old-timey morphine or codeine. Uh, its main use back then was a cough suppressant or for pain. Hmm. When Eliza became quite ill, her friends and fellow actors, Luke and Charlotte Usher, took care of Eliza's children. And on December 8th, 1811, Eliza Poe died from tuberculosis at the age of 24. Again, she was 24 with three children. Oh, I don't think I could have handled that <laughs> mentally. Um, and while no one can confirm it, I have read in multiple places that David Poe also died of tuberculosis, three days after Eliza. Wow. Yeah. Christy, she's a science nerd. Side note. Yes. Tuberculosis, or TB, is a bacterial infection that can spread through the air. It is most often found in the lungs, although it can exist in any organ of the body. And I guess I don't pay much attention because for some reason... I didn't realize it was a big thing anymore because in my brain tuberculosis is an old timey disease. In reality, <laughs> tuberculosis kills uh, somewhere like someone approximately every 22 seconds. In 2019, it was estimated 10 million people worldwide became sick with tuberculosis, and that 1.4 million died. And in terrifying news, the World Health Organization estimates that one quarter. Of the world's population currently has a TB infection, which means that people have been infected by TB bacteria, they just aren't sick yet. Wow. So that's horrifying to think about. Yeah. Um, In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, TB was the leading cause of death in the United States. At the time, it was called consumption, and it led to the formation of the American Lung Association in 1904. Oh, The 19th century uh, could be characterized by one epidemic after another. The plague, cholera, smallpox, yellow fever, influenza, measles, they all spread through the growing urban populations, killing thousands and then fading slowly. But tuberculosis was different. It didn't come in waves or explode through the population. It was constant and persistent. It was the main cause of death in the United States and Europe, And in the early 1800s, more than a third of the autopsies performed in Paris found the cause of death to be tuberculosis. And in 1890, those numbers increased to 50%. And I only bring this up because, one, I like to inform. Of course. And two, tuberculosis is going to come up a lot in our story because it is set in the 1800s. Uh... So when Eliza died, the local papers ran a notice that said, quote, By the death of this lady of the stage has been deprived, or by the death of this lady, the stage has been deprived of one of its chief ornaments. And to say the least of her, she was an interesting actress and never failed to catch the applause and command the admiration of the beholder. Which is kind of fancy and nice. Uh, But with Eliza dead and David nowhere to be found, the three Poe children were now orphans. And just for a refresher, at this moment in time, William was four, Edgar was three, and Rosalie was one. And for reasons I'm not quite sure of, the trio was separated. William was sent to live with his paternal grandparents in Baltimore, while Rosalie was adopted by the Mackenzie family, who ran a school in Richmond. Later in life, Rosalie would add Mackenzie as her middle name. Edgar was taken in by a wealthy Richmond couple named John and Frances Allen, and just like his sister, Edgar would later take the Allens' last name as his own middle name. One thing I find fascinating is the family who took Rosalie in adopted her, but the Allens, who were a foster family, never legally adopted Edgar. And there were some issues there we'll get into. Oh, boy. Uh, Although they did have him baptized in 1812. The Allen family traveled to the UK, and Edgar was sent to grammar school in Scotland in 1815. A year later, he would join the Allens in London. While there, Edgar studied at a boarding school in Chelsea until the summer of 1817, and then moved to a school just north of London. In 1820, the family all moved back to Virginia. In 1824, Edgar served as the lieutenant of the Richmond Youth Honor Guard. March 1825, William Galt, John Allen's uncle and business benefactor, died, leaving John several acres of real estate. The inheritance was worth about $750,000, which would be about $17 million in 2021. Wow became engaged to his childhood sweetheart, Sarah Elmira Royster, in 1825 when she was 15 and he was 16. He then registered at the University of Virginia in February 1826 with the plan to study ancient and modern languages. Present-day side note. 13 West Range is the dorm room that Edgar is believed to have stayed in while studying at the University of West, sorry, the University of Virginia. The room is preserved and its upkeep is currently overseen by a group of students and staff who are known as the Raven Society. This honor society was founded in 1904 and their main goal is to, quote, bring together the best men in various departments of the university for mutual acquaintance and for cooperation in their efforts to protect the honor and dignity of the university. Yeah, I also started to look into it. I was like, men, huh? Where's the women? And that that university alone didn't accept women until like the 70s. And at that point, it was just a really sad rabbit hole I had to get out of. <laughs> so, Of course, of course. You know, I... I couldn't look any further. Plus, it didn't seem relevant at the time. Uh, while at school, Edgar lost touch with his fiance. although some say that Sarah's father forced the relationship to end. Also at this time, Edgar got heavily into gambling. He would later complain that John Allen didn't give him enough money to cover classes, textbooks, and a dorm. However, John did send additional money and clothing, but Edgar's gambling debts became overwhelming. In 1827, Edgar left university but didn't want to return home, as he had frequent arguments with John over Edgar's ever-amassing debts. So in April 1827, Edgar traveled to Boston, living off odd jobs as a clerk and newspaper writer. At this time, uh, Edgar started to use the pseudonym Henri Le Rene we We're going to say that's what that is. Uh, however, Edgar found he couldn't support himself, so he enlisted himself in the United States Army as a private on May 27th, 1827. And not only did he lie about his name and call himself Edgar A. Perry, he also lied about his age, saying he was 22 when in fact he was only 18. He served in Fort Independence in Boston Harbor before being posted to Mount Fort Fort Moultrie in Charleston, South Carolina in November. Also in 1827, Edgar's first book was released. It was a 40-page collection of writing titled Tamerlane and Other Poems. However, the author was credited simply as, quote, a Bostonian. Only 50 copies were printed, and it received very little attention. First book, side note! It is believed that only 12 copies of Tamerlane and Other Poems survived, and that in December 2009, one copy sold at Christie's Auction House in New York for $662,500, which was a record price for a work of American literature. I... Wow. Yeah, that's... I mean, and it's also a... It's not like it's... A book you're going to sit and read. It's like, oh, you don't touch that. Like right. I, I assume you I assume you don't. But then again, I'm thinking of myself and it's like, oh, I'd get Cheeto dust all over it. <laughs> 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 Maybe that's not what you spend uh, $600,000 on, Christy. Well, I'm never going to have $600,000 in my lifetime. That's another story.
3: We don't speak that way, though. We speak things positively. You're right. I
4: need a better vision board.
3: 600000
4: I want to be able to blow money on something that I can get Cheeto dust on. There you go. Yeah. And the answer is, maybe a dog. No. I only say that because my husband's going to panic the second he hears that. He's like, no, I need that. I need that out of her brain. So Edgar continued to serve in the military for another two years, earning the rank of Sergeant Major for Artillery Uh, which was apparently the highest rank that a non-commissioned officer could achieve. He then tried to end his five-year enlistment early by confessing to his commanding officer that it wasn't his real name and it wasn't his real age. The lieutenant said he would allow Edgar to be discharged only if he reconciled with John Allen. So Edgar wrote to John, who was stubborn and spent months ignoring Edgar's letters, but it's not surprising when you hear John was writing letters to Edgar's brother, Henry, saying that Edgar, quote, possesses not a spark of affection for us, not a particle of gratitude for all my care and kindness towards him. Did did Edgar tell you he was bored? I well, think the answer is yes. <laughs> I think who knew that would play so nicely into this episode. Uh, but things changed when John's wife, Frances, died in February of 1829. Edgar visited, and John agreed to support Edgar so that he could be transferred to the United States Military Academy at West Point. On April 15th, 1829, Edgar was officially discharged. Before heading to West Point, Edgar went to stay with his aunt, Maria Clem, in Baltimore. Also at the house were Maria's daughter, Virginia Eliza Clem, Edgar's brother, William, who went by Henry, uh, and their grandmother, Elizabeth Poe. In September 1829, Edgar received what he called, quote, the very first words of encouragement I ever remember to have heard. The idea he did not hear anything until he was 20 years old. -ah. Uh, A critic named John Neal reviewed some of Edgar's poetry, and Edgar was so honored that he dedicated one of his poems in his second book to Neal. His second book of poetry was published in Baltimore in 1829. Poe arrived at West Point on July 1st, 1830. In October 1830, John Allen married Louisa Patterson, which led to a fight with Edgar over the children that John allegedly had from numerous extramarital affairs. The fighting finally came to a head when John Allen disowned Edgar At this point, Edgar wanted out of West Point, so he purposely got himself court-martialed. On February 8th, 1831, Edgar was tried for gross neglect of duty and disobedience of orders for refusing to attend formations, classes, or church. He pleaded not guilty, knowing that he'd be found guilty, which would make them dismiss him. (laughs) Okay. He found a way. He found a way.
3: Life finds a way.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, I love Jurassic Park. I'm all over the place. Mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum? No. Yep. After the trial, Edgar headed to New York where he released a third book of poetry simply titled Poems. The book was dedicated to the U.S. Corps of Cadets, whom each donated 75 cents to help Edgar get published. In March, Edgar headed back to Baltimore where his brother Henry's health began to decline. And since I've said, um, since I haven't said much about Henry to this point, let's take a brief talking about Henry side note. I'm out of control. When Eliza Poe died, Henry was the only one of the Poe siblings to be sent to live with family. Henry was raised by his grandparents, Elizabeth Poe and David Poe Sr., who was a quartermaster in the American Revolutionary War. David Sr. died in 1816. Before the age of 20, Henry was a sailor, serving on board the USS Macedonian, visiting places such as South America, the Mediterranean, and Russia. In 1827, he returned to Baltimore to live with his grandmother, Elizabeth Poe, his aunt Maria Clem, and his cousins, Henry Clem and Virginia Clem. Yes, there are so many of the same name throughout this whole story. It's... (laughs) Mind-boggling. <laughs> uh, Henry was described as quote a slim, feeble young man with dark, inexpressive eyes, who possessed quote a singular personal beauty. Beauty back then was something else. To, because to be like, ooh, he's feeble and inexpressive eyes, hot. It's like, <laughs> wow, wow, that's that's no Channing Tatum, right? Ooh, no, that was an interesting choice. Well. Uh, While in Baltimore, Henry became a published poet and author. One of his works was called The Pirate and was said to be a fictionalized account of Edgar's relationship with his childhood sweetheart, Sarah Royster. Henry was a heavy drinker, which led in part to Henry being ill for the last years of his life. Henry died of tuberculosis on August 1st, 1831, at the age of 24, the same age his mother was when she died. Interesting. Uh Uh-huh. His obituary incorrectly listed his name as W.H. Hope. Uh, After Henry's death, Edgar decided it was time to become serious about his own writing. Unfortunately, at the time, the lack of international copyright law meant that Edgar struggled to find an interested publisher. American publishers would often produce unauthorized copies of British works, rather than paying for new work from Americans. So I can't even begin to imagine the effort of writing a book back then only to have, you know, (laughs) selling tons of copies somewhere else, but you don't see a cent for it. Uh, There was a booming growth in American periodicals over this time, but publishers often refused to pay their writers or paid them much later than they promised. But Edgar kept writing and ended up earning a prize in October 1833 for his short story, Uh, MS Found in a Bottle. This particular story caught the attention of a wealthy Baltimorean named John P. Kennedy, who introduced Edgar to the editor of the Southern Literary Messenger, Thomas W. White. White made Edgar the assistant editor of the Messenger in 1835, although he was fired a few weeks later for being drunk on the job. Oh, dear. But Edgar would later be reinstated as a assistant editor after promising to be on his best behavior. He remained in the position until January 1837. During his brief time with The Messenger, Edgar claims that its circulation increased from 700 to 3,500. He also published several of his own poems, stories, book reviews, and critiques in the paper. But before I get too far in his career, we have to talk about something we're not gonna like. On September 22nd, 1835, Edgar obtained a marriage license when he was 26 years old. The bride? Oh, Edgar's 13-year-old cousin, Virginia Clem. And yes, I know we've been there before. Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh (laughs) my god! Edgar and Virginia married in a Presbyterian ceremony at their boarding house on May 16th, 1836. The witness falsely claimed that Virginia was 21, but since she was born in August 1822, Virginia was 13 at the time of the wedding, and Edgar was 27. And while we're all grossed out by this marriage because the layers alone. I mean, on one level, it's super gross because he married a child, On another level, it's gross because he married his first cousin. But honestly, if it wasn't so frowned upon, I would have locked down Lauren into some sort of platonic marriage decades ago. Bless. Many biographers insist that Edgar and Virginia loved each other, more like a brother and sister. She allegedly called him Eddie, and he referred to her as Sissy. Ah, But we'll get into more of their relationship in a bit. Now, around this point in time, there was a financial crisis in the United States known as the Panic of 1837. Profits, prices, and wages all decreased while unemployment increased. However, for Edgar, he started to finally do well as a writer, and he was allegedly one of the first Americans to make a living by writing alone. In 1838, Edgar's novel The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket was published and widely reviewed. In the summer of 1839, Edgar became the assistant editor of Burton's Gentleman's magazine. He published numerous articles, stories, and reviews, increasing his reputation as a critic. Later in 1839, he published a collection in two volumes titled Tales of the Grotesque and Arabesque. Unfortunately, it received mixed reviews. Oh. Edgar bought advertising space in the June 6, 1840 issue of the Saturday Evening Post in Philadelphia, in which he announced his intention of starting his own monthly literary journal. The original plan was to call it The Pen, but the name was changed to The Stylus. However, the journal was never produced in Edgar's lifetime. <laughs> okay. Okay. A year after joining Burton's Gentleman's Magazine, Edgar left and joined Graham's Magazine as a writer and co-editor. He remained with them until early 1842. During his time there, he became interested in cryptography. So much so that in 1841, he published an essay called A Few Words on Secret Writing. He also incorporated ciphers into his 1843 story The Gold Bug, By doing so, he helped to popularize cryptograms in newspapers and magazines. In 1841, he published two ciphers under the name W.B. Tyler. The ciphers would go unsolved until 1992 and 2000, respectively. Wow. Yeah. Uh, In January 1842, Edgar's wife, Virginia, showed the first signs of consumption, aka tuberculosis when she started to cough up blood while singing and playing the piano. The stress of his wife's illness drove Edgar to drink more heavily. He chose to leave Graham's magazine and hoped to get himself a government position, or more specifically, a position in President John Tyler's administration. For all of us non-Americans, John Tyler was the 10th president of the United States from April 1841 to March 1845. Thank you. Um, Edgar thought he could simply get in because he knew a man named Frederick Thomas, who was an acquaintance of the president's son, Robert. And the joke is, he might have actually done it. Edgar was supposed to have a meeting with his friend Frederick about it, September 1842, but he missed the appointment claiming to be sick. Frederick believed Edgar was not so much sick as he was drunk, Uh, so Edgar missed out on the position because by the time he tried to meet with Frederick, positions had been filled. Edgar went to New York where he became the editor of the Broadway Journal and later its owner. However, while editor Edgar alienated himself from fellow writers, like the time he accused Nathaniel Hawthorne of plagiarism, or when he said Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote poetry that was, quote, preachy, derivative, and thematically plagiarized. (laughs) (laughs) Wow! Yep. Writer's side note, for any of our dear listeners who, like me, are not familiar with poetry, or maybe some may just say the classics, Longfellow was the dude who wrote Paul Revere's Ride. Mm. And for any of our dear listeners who are familiar with poetry, I'm sorry for calling him dude. <laughs> uh, and Nathaniel Hawthorne is probably most well-known for The Scarlet Letter. Uh, oh, And while most of the writers kind of disliked Edgar, he was pen pals with Charles Dickens, so at least one liked him. Hmm. Yeah. And if you're going to have one, have the Christmas Carol guy. Yeah. I'm out of it. I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in 1842, Edgar Allan Poe published a short story called The Mystery of Marie Roget. It was published in three installments in Snowden's Lady's Companion in November 1842, December 1842, and February 1843. It is the first murder mystery based on the details of a real crime, which leads us to a true crime side note. Ooh, Mary Cecilia Rogers was believed to be born in Lyme, Connecticut in 1820. She worked in a tobacco shop and was known for drawing customers to the store because of her beauty. She came to be known as Beautiful Cigar Girl. On October 5th, 1838, the New York Sun reported Mary missing, and Mary's mother Phoebe had found a suicide note. A few days later, the newspaper reported, never mind, Mary has returned. Some suggest she ran off with a naval officer. Some suggested the disappearance was a publicity stunt created by her boss, John Anderson, to help drive up business at the tobacco shop. Some believe Her return was a hoax as Mary didn't return to work right away when they claimed she was back. But three years later, on July 25th, 1841, Mary went missing again. Mary's fiancé, Daniel Payne, said that on July 25th, Mary told him she would be visiting relatives in New Jersey. Daniel was a boarder at Mary's mother's boarding house. The couple allegedly became engaged in early 1841, On July 28th, Mary's body was found floating in the Hudson River in Hoboken, New Jersey. A former fiancé identified her body. It was suggested that she was murdered. The case received national attention for weeks. Daniel is said to have an airtight alibi on the night that Mary went missing, although I don't know what that alibi is. According to Daniel's testimony, he had been searching for Mary ...for two or three days, and yet when he was told she was found, he apparently didn't go to see her. It was said a former fiancé identified her body, so apparently that was someone before Daniel. Which is interesting. The coroner stated that Mary's dress and hat were torn, and that her body looked as though it had taken a beating, and she had been through a struggle. The coroner verified that Mary was not pregnant... And said that Mary, quote, had evidently been a person of chastity and correct habits. Take from that what you will. Okay. The newspapers printed a very graphic description of Mary's body and vivid theories about what they believe the killer or killers did to her body. It was suggested that Mary was possibly a victim of gang violence. And once, despite his alibi, it was suggested that Daniel was somehow involved. In late August, women's clothing, or more specifically, a scarf, handkerchief, and petticoat, were found crumpled and mildewed in the woods behind a tavern. The handkerchief was said to be embroidered with the initials MR. The tavern's owner, Frederica Loss, became a bit of a local celebrity with the discovery of the items... The reporters were all excited to talk to her, and she was chomping at the bit to talk to anyone who wanted to hear her. Um, She told reporters that her sons had found the items while they were in the woods collecting sassafras, which is one of my favorite words on the planet. Yes. Uh, The ages of her sons are unknown which is a shame because I have a theory that we'll get into. Uh, But her sons find the women's clothing, and based on its condition, it's estimated that the items were there about three to four weeks. So timeline-wise, it fits with when Mary went missing. Then Frederica tells reporters on July 25th she had seen Mary in her tavern in the company of a tall, dark stranger. Frederica also claims she heard a scream later that night, and at first, she just thought it was one of her sons. But when she saw both of them were in the house and accounted for, she just assumed that scream must have been an animal. She, of course, didn't bring this up when Mary was first found or missing or anything. She waited uh, a while. So that was interesting. Mm. Uh, while the inquest into Mary's death was still ongoing, just over three months after her body was found on October 7, 1841, grief-stricken Daniel went on a bit of a one-man pub crawl, going from one tavern to the next, before going to a pharmacy and buying a vial of laudanum. Daniel then made his way to Sybil's Cave, the area where Mary was found, and while completely inebriated, consumed the laudanum. His body was found later that same day. Along with Daniel's body was the empty vial and a note that said, quote, to the world, here I am on the very spot. May God forgive me for my misspent youth.
3: Interesting.
4: Mm-hmm. A year later, in October 1842, Frederica Loss was accidentally shot by one of her sons. She made a deathbed confession. The man she had seen July 25th with Mary wasn't a stranger, but rather a young physician who was known for performing abortions. Frederica believed the procedure went wrong, and that one of her sons disposed of Mary's body in the river, while the other threw Mary's scarf, handkerchief, and petticoat into the neighbor's pond, but then had second thoughts, so they fished out the items and scattered them in the woods instead. Mary's case remains unsolved. And I know this isn't the case that we're here to talk about today, but I'm more likely to believe the killer was one of Frederica's sons. Uh, I don't know their ages at the time, but she admitted her sons were involved by disposing the body. And then one of her sons accidentally shoots her. I mean, I'm just saying, I think that. (sighs) Yeah, I I mean, kids.
3: I mean when you said that she went missing the first time I thought oh was she pregnant and went away to have the baby and then when you said she went missing a second time I was like oh was she pregnant again I don't know why that entered my mind Um, but I guess my question is is that if what Frederica is saying is true then is the coroner in on it who said that essentially alluded to
4: her not her being being. a virgin I it is tough I mean how uh, we say this a lot but how deep does it go? Well, yeah, especially like you wouldn't think it would be like that back then. But I guess it had to start somewhere. Yep. Uh, But Edgar Allan Poe tried to solve the case by creating a murder mystery. Uh, He did not solve it, of course, because the case remains unsolved. But he changed it instead of Mary Rogers. It's Marie Roget. And it's set in Paris.
3: So essentially Edgar Allan Poe was kind of like the original true crime podcaster. He created detective fiction.
4: He created the genre. He did. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. Again, had no idea. Didn't know. I knew he wrote that thing about a bird and that was <laughs> That's where I was yeah. at. That's where Same. I was at a week ago. Uh in 1844, the New York Sun reported that Thomas Monk Mason flew across the Atlantic in a gas balloon. Edgar uh, detailed the trip that took more than 75 hours to complete. Edgar's account was very detailed, describing the balloon's design and its propulsion system. There was even a diagram and specks of the balloon. Two days later, the sun had to retract the story as they learned it was completely made up. It has been suggested that this balloon hoax would later inspire inspire Jules Verne's 1873 story around the world in 80 days. Interesting. I just like that he was like, I've got a story for you. I know this guy. He made this trip in a balloon. I swear to it. And then they published it and he was probably cracking up because it's like... (laughs) It didn't happen at all. It can't (laughs) happen. It's just amazing to me that they printed it and then had to go, that was not real. Oops. Yeah. Can you imagine being the person who only got the paper the one day they printed that and never got the retraction? They would be like, how has technology not gotten better? Well, they're (laughs) not alive, Christy. This was the 1800s. I'm out of it. So January 29th, 1845, Edgar's poem, The Raven, appeared in the Evening Mirror, a journal where Edgar briefly worked prior to his position at the Broadway Journal. And while Edgar was only paid nine dollars for its publication, The Raven was a huge hit that made Edgar a household name almost instantly. Nevermore, side note, (laughs) <laughs> the Raven is easily, to date, Edgar Allan Poe's most widely known work. I will be honest, <laughs> prior to this, my only knowledge of it came from a Treehouse of Horrors episode in season two of The Simpsons. Uh, yes, I'm uncultured. Uh, but the main thing that I know about the poem, it, is in, it involves a raven. Apparently... When Edgar first wrote the poem, the bird was going to be a parrot. But huh. then Edgar worried that the vibrant nature of a parrot wouldn't be in line with the tone of his work, so he changed it to a raven, as they are a bird which is also capable of speech, but are also closer to the tone that he was going for. I just love the idea of the parrot. Never <laughs> <laughs> Just two women getting by. Getting by. Um, uh, yeah, it is a different...
3: It definitely feels like it has more of a, like, Sebastian Little Mermaid under the sea vibe. Yeah. A,
4: it it changes parrot. things It changes the tone, yeah. It really does. Uh, another fun fact about the Raven. In 1996, the new professional football team in Baltimore was looking for a name. The team surveyed the fans, and of the 33,000 fans who voted... Over 22,000 of them chose the Ravens in honor of Edgar Allan Poe, who lived in Baltimore for years. And for those who care, and I'm sure none of you do, uh, the other two options, which each got about 5,600 votes, were the Marauders and the Americans. And I can't tell you how much Baltimore Americans is a terrible name. I'm so sorry to that 5,600 people who said it was good.
3: Well, I'd also just like to say kudos to the people of Baltimore for choosing a name like the Ravens, which has a tie to their cultural history, etc. I just want to very quickly remind that when Toronto was given a a basketball, an NBA team, they held a similar vote. And what was the team named? The answer is the Raptors. I believe the answer, I believe that was because Jurassic Park was extremely popular at the time uh, and a lot of people voted for it. But, I guess my point is is that there was no cultural significance to the city uh and it's nice to know that Baltimore uh so deeply appreciates the talents of Edgar Allan Poe,
4: yeah, but I think it's nice that the people of Toronto, like me, also like Jurassic Park, yeah
2: <laughs>
3: sure, I guess I just feel like ah uh, you know it just it, it's it's like um. It's like naming something on a whim. It's like, you know. Bodie
4: McBoatface.
3: Yeah, it's Bodie McBoatface. It's like, I hope yeah. this works because you're committing to something that could be gone in a year, you know?
4: Oh, look. If I was given a choice, they would have been the Jeff Goldblums or something stupid. <laughs> like, so, so don't ask me to name stuff like that. But, but yeah, I get it. Like the, it. They made a choice. They woke up that day and made a choice. Not saying it was the right one, but they woke up that day and made a choice. Yeah. And it is what it is.
3: But again, shout out Baltimore. I think it's nice that yes. they, they said the Ravens. I think that's nice.
4: Charm City helicopters.
3: <laughs> I mean, anytime I hear the word Baltimore, all I think about is Ray Rivera. It's the truth. I think for the till yeah. the end of time, that will be all I think of.
4: Yeah. Until we visit there, and then you'll think of the time we drunkenly we have to get pizza that trip in one on of those beds. books.
3: That has to happen. Yeah.
4: And then the time we were we're like, we're not actually gonna tell Charm City helicopters we're in town because we're terrified of going in a helicopter.
3: Yeah, I'm not <laughs> loving the idea of it. And that's got nothing no. to do with them. Their service nope. they offer they offer a good service. They're good people yes. over there. Uh They're it's lovely. more my own fear of uh motorized uh air travel.
4: I can barely be in an airplane.
3: I also yeah. do not love flying, but I got used to it because I had to do it so, so, so much for work. And now mm-hmm. I am—I have an upcoming flight, and I have to say it's been many, it's been a long time now. It's been since Thanksgiving 2019, yes. and I will say I am, it's been two years, and I am, Canadian Thanksgiving, so almost exactly two years. I am not looking forward to it. I have a lot of anxiety, but that's for another yeah. podcast the mental health podcast that clearly we should be starting because we're both going through a lot. Anyway, moving on.
4: Yeah, we'd have a professional on that with us, right? Uh,
3: I think legally we'd have to. For legal reasons, yeah. I think it's for the best.
4: Uh, so the Broadway Journal failed in 1846 and the Poes moved to a cottage in Fordham, New York, an area that is now known as the Bronx. Huh. That cottage was later relocated to a park on Kingsbridge Road and named the Edgar Allan Poe Cottage. Virginia, who we all recall uh, was suffering from tuberculosis, died at the cottage on January 30th, 1847. She was just 24 years old. Stop! The same age as Edgar's mother and brother at the time of their deaths, which is... A super weird coincidence. But also, I feel so bad for her that she suffered through tuberculosis for five years. I can't imagine. And because you know I like to be thorough, I need to take a moment for an Edgar and Virginia's marital side note. Because I told you I'd get into it. Yep. So, Virginia... Uh, was named after her two-year-old sister, who died just 10 days before Virginia was born. Her father, William Clem Jr., married Maria Poe, Virginia's mother, in July 1812. Before that, William was married to Maria's cousin, Harriet. Everyone just so many close to so many families. William died in 1826 and left the family with very little. Relatives refused to support the family as they had originally been opposed to William and Maria's marriage. Edgar first met Virginia in August 1829, just four months after his discharge from the army. Virginia was seven at the time of their meeting. Edgar moved in with the family in 1833 and started a flirtation with the neighbor, Mary Devereux. Virginia acted as a messenger between the two, even at one point giving Edgar a lock of Mary's hair. At this point, the family consisted of Maria, her children Virginia and Henry, and Maria's mother, Elizabeth Poe. When Elizabeth died in July 1835, the family's only income was no more. In August 1835, Edgar decided to leave the family destitute and all, just leave him, and moved to Richmond to take a job at the Southern Literary Messenger. While he was gone, his cousin Nielsen Poe heard rumors that Edgar was considering marrying Virginia. And Nielsen was not crazy about the idea. Nielsen wrote to Edgar, uh, offering to take Virginia in and have her educated, and then suggested Edgar and Virginia could possibly marry in the future, you know, when she wasn't a child. But Edgar took this as a, oh, Nielsen's trying to separate me from my one true love. So he wrote to Maria in August 1835, begging her to let Virginia make up her own mind about the marriage. In that same letter, Edgar offered to financially provide for the family, namely Maria, Virginia, and Virginia's brother, uh, if they moved to Richmond. Less than a month later, on September 22nd, 1835, Edgar returned to Baltimore to file a marriage license. It is said the couple married quickly, but the date is uncertain. They had a public ceremony on May 16th, 1836, and then honeymooned briefly in Petersburg, Virginia. Which is a weird thing to say when friends suggested that Edgar and Virginia didn't share a bed for at least The first two years of their marriage, and that once Virginia was 16, they had a quote normal marriage. Although some have suggested their marriage may not have ever been consummated. We don't know. We weren't there. Uh, But regardless as to what went on in their bedroom, it is said that Edgar and Virginia were very devoted to each other. Edgar once wrote, quote, I see no one among the living as beautiful as my little wife. And I can't think of something I hate more than the fact that he calls her his little wife. That there's something about it irks me, and I don't know what it is. Virginia idolized Edgar, and would sit by his side for hours as he would write. When Virginia was first diagnosed with consumption, Edgar went into a deep depression, which led to heavy drinking. Throughout the marriage, the couple often moved around to accommodate his employment— they moved multiple times throughout Baltimore, Philadelphia, and New York. It has been suggested they moved around Philadelphia in the hopes of finding a healthier environment for Virginia. Then came a scandal oh. in 1845 involving female poets Francis Sargent Osgood and Elizabeth F. Allett. There were rumors going around that Edgar was having an affair with 34-year-old Francis, who was also married at the time. Mm. Virginia believed that Francis had a calming effect on Edgar, who had recently promised to give up stimulants and was never drunk in Francis's presence. Then in July 1845, Virginia received anonymous letters that claimed Edgar was having an affair with Francis. Edgar and Francis had been openly flirting with each other, and had even taken to writing letters back and forth. In January 1846, Virginia showed Elizabeth some of Francis's letters and pointed out specific sections that caused Virginia great concern. Elizabeth, of course, told everyone uh, what she had supposedly seen in the letters and made it known she believed there was absolutely an affair between Edgar and Francis. Now, something worth noting is that Elizabeth herself had become enamored with Edgar and was wildly jealous of the attention Edgar was giving to Frances. Elizabeth was also described as meddlesome and vindictive. <laughs> so, was Elizabeth the one who sent Virginia those anonymous letters? We'll never know. But apparently throughout this, Frances and her husband were separated at the time, but they ended up reuniting... And her husband was livid about these rumors of the affair. So, Francis's husband threatened to sue Elizabeth unless she apologized for saying the affair was real. So, Elizabeth retracted her previous statements about the letters, saying what she saw must have just been forged by Edgar himself. And while everyone else seemed to move on from the scandal, Virginia never truly got over it, to the point where On her deathbed, Virginia allegedly claimed that Elizabeth had murdered her. (laughs) Also on her deathbed, Virginia asked her mother, Maria, to take care of Edgar after she was gone, and Maria stayed with Edgar for the rest of his life.
3: (sighs) (sighs) There's a lot to unpack There's a lot to unpack. I... Okay, well, listen... So much going on. Again, I I thought he wrote a a long form poem about a bird and now I'm learning so much more. (laughs) Um, Let's take a quick break, refresh your drink, hit the can and we're going to be right back with more about Edgar Allan Poe on this episode of Nevermore True Crime and Cocktails. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Of course, we are talking about Edgar Allan Poe. I don't know. I'm I'm like three glasses of wine in and that's where we're at. Uh, (laughs) I bet his name's never been said like that. And I think he would have liked it. I hope that he's somewhere right now going,
4: Um, I hope he's somewhere having known what that means. Yeah, I guess I assume that
3: wherever he is, he's also like, Paid attention to pop culture for for the last hundred years, or however long since he died. Um,
4: I need to believe that he has seen that Simpsons episode. Yeah. And cracks him up.
3: I'd like to think that if there is an afterlife, and it's nice to think that there is, I think. Sure. um, That you get a text. It's like you have a Google alert set, and then if something happens about
4: you that's nice, you get
3: a little message about it. That's what I'd like to think.
4: What I thought this was leading to was the idea that in the afterlife, (laughs) there's TV. And (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, because assuming that it's like the afterlife is whatever you want it to be, I'm going to be on the world's largest beanbag chair Mm -hmm. surrounded by dogs and nugs. And it's gonna play Christmas movies pretty much twenty four seven until I need a break, and then it's gonna switch to like the Greatest Showman or Mamma Mia, <laughs> of course, <laughs> or just you know something else for fun.
3: Well, what I love is we're talking about our own personal heavens, and then we've been we've got a guest who's made an appearance. It's young lady oh. Peaches. My dog uh, Peaches has was wandered over, which is rare. Uh, but she must have known that there was something going on that she wanted to be a part of. So, if you hear any huffing and puffing uh, in the rest of this recording, it's not me, it's her. She likes to, she snores, she's a huffer, she's
4: a puffer, and, uh... Well, she heard me reference the Simpsons, and she's like, you want to hear my Marge Simpson? Exactly. (laughs) That's
3: what she sounds like. Yeah. Anyways, back
4: to the case. Yes, of course. So... We were somewhere, we were talking about, we were in the midst of the Edgar, uh, Virginia marital lifestyle. Yes. Then there was the scandal, Uh, whether he had the affair or not, we don't know. We're still pissed that he married a child. We are. So, there's that. In May 1846, the Poe family moved to the small cottage in Fordham, Did they move to get away from the female poets and distance themselves physically from the scandal? Possibly. In the only surviving letter from Edgar to Virginia, written July 12, 1846, Edgar states, I have lost my courage but for you, my darling little wife. You are my greatest and only stimulus now to battle with this unsatisfactory and ungrateful life. Again. Little wife, don't care for it. No two. Shouldn't I get what you're saying? But at the same time, shouldn't you be like life is amazing because of you? Not you're the only thing that keeps me from this fucking hell. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. Just be like I, I get it, but at the same time, okay. Uh, so Virginia's condition worsened, and she experienced high fevers, night sweats, chest pains, coughing, spitting up blood. As Virginia got worse, Edgar's drinking increased, and it is said that he was absolutely devastated by her death in January 1847. Only one image of Virginia has ever been authenticated. It was a watercolor portrait that was painted hours after her death, uh, when Edgar suddenly realized he didn't have an image of her, so the artist used Virginia's corpse as a model. And I can't tell you how much that disturbs me. (laughs) Uh, It is said that after Virginia's death, Edgar would sit at her grave for hours and would often be found there in the middle of the night in winter. He became increasingly unstable. Biographers often suggest that Edgar's frequent theme of death of a beautiful woman stems from the repeated loss of women throughout his life. Virginia's death is said to have been the inspiration for much of Edgar's writing, including Lenore and Annabelle Lee, which leads me to a poetry side note. Ooh. Annabelle Lee is the last completed poem written by Edgar in 1849. It explores the theme of the death of a beautiful woman, which, according to Edgar, is, quote, the most poetical topic in the world. In the poem, the narrator falls in love with Annabelle when they are young and they have such a strong love that even the angels are envious. Even after the character's death, the narrator's love for Annabelle remains strong. The poem was not published until after Edgar's death. There is a local legend in Charleston, South Carolina about a sailor who fell in love with a woman named Annabelle Lee. Her father disapproved of their relationship so that they would meet secretly in a graveyard. While stationed away, the sailor learns Annabelle has died of yellow fever, and when he returns, her father refuses to let the sailor attend the funeral. So because he didn't know where she was buried, every night the sailor would keep vigil at the graveyard where the couple secretly met during their relationship. Locals are insistent that this legend was the inspiration for Edgar's final poem as he briefly lived in Charleston in 1827. We don't know if he's heard the legend or not. We don't know if it was inspiration. It feels like it, but we don't know. After Virginia's death, Edgar briefly dated American poet Sarah Helen Whitman, and in December 1848, Sarah agreed to an immediate marriage if Edgar agreed to stay sober during their engagement. However, that only lasted a few days. Oh. The couple was meant to marry December 25th, 1848, but when Sarah learned Edgar had not stayed sober, their relationship ended. Which leads to a, you learn something new every day, side note. While I was looking into Sarah Whitman, I read that she had a heart condition that she treated by breathing ether, Oh, through a handkerchief. And while I'm both wildly fascinated by and completely terrified of old-timey medicine, uh, once I read the word ether, I was down a new rabbit hole. Apparently, ether was first prepared in 1540 by a Prussian botanist, and it was first used as an anesthetic in 1846. Prior to that, Surgeries were rare and incredibly gruesome. One of the most common operations at the time was amputation. Ooh, yeah. Which, let's not even stop to consider what a patient would go through to have an amputation occur without anesthesia. But prior to its existence, it was said the medical professionals would use a variety of methods to control the patient's pain, such as alcohol, opiates, ice, and quote ...various distractions. <laughs>
3: yeah, I like Like a children's like photographer? <laughs> like jingling oh keys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, look at the puppet. Uh, oh, dear. Yeah,
4: it just felt like odd choice of words. Yeah. Uh, the first person to use ether as an inhalation anesthetic... ...was a Boston dentist on October 16th, 1846. Uh, so Edgar's engagement to Sarah Whitman ended. So he returned to Richmond where he resumed his relationship with his childhood sweetheart, Sarah Royster. Which leads me to a Sarah side note. So Sarah and Edgar were an item in their teens. When she was 15, her father forced them apart. And at 17, she married Alexander B. Shelton, who became wealthy through his involvement in the transportation industry. The couple remained married until Alexander's death of pneumonia in July 1844. In his will, Alexander left Sarah and the couple's children an estate worth $100,000, which is about $3.6 million in 2021. Edgar came back into Sarah's life in July 1848. He tried to push her pretty much immediately to marry him, But her children, who were 19 and 10 at the time, didn't approve, and Sarah was hesitant. And of course, Sarah was hesitant. Because while her husband's will left her an impressive estate, the will had a stipulation that Sarah would lose three quarters of the estate if she ever remarried. Oh, come on. (laughs) Which I didn't even know you could do. Uh, Edgar visited Sarah again in September 1849, once again, pushing marriage. Some say they came to an understanding, but in the end, the couple never married. On the evening of September 26th, Sarah said that Edgar had complained of feeling ill. The next morning when she went to check on him, Edgar had left. Two weeks later, Edgar would be dead. Huh. Huh. Later in life, Sarah Royster said that she never would have married Edgar under any circumstances. But in a letter she wrote to Maria Clem, who was Edgar's mother-in-law, Sarah stated she was ready to accept Maria as her own mother-in-law. She also refused to speak about Edgar or their relationship for years. And in 1875, she said she had never been engaged to Edgar. In 1884, she said they had been engaged Sarah died February 11th, 1888. Her obituary described her as, quote, Poe's first and last love. I don't know if I'd say last because I don't know if those two, I don't know if I'd say the last part of their relationship was love, but okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why she would go back and forth as to whether they were engaged or not, but since I've touched on it, I guess it's just time to get to the death In June 1849, Edgar embarked on a speaking tour to raise funds for a literary magazine he hoped to publish, a.k.a. The Stylus. Right. Um, On September 27, 1849, Edgar was supposed to board a ferry from Richmond to Baltimore and then to New York, although some believe Edgar was heading to Philadelphia. The night before the ferry trip, he visited a doctor in Richmond for a fever. Little is known about the next several days, but it is stated that Edgar arrived in Baltimore on September 28th. On October 3rd, 1849, Joseph W. Walker, a compositor for the Baltimore Sun, was heading through the rain to Gunners Hall in Baltimore. It was election day, and Gunners Hall served as a pop-up polling location for the Fourth Ward. When Walker arrived at the hall, he noticed a man lying in the gutter. The man was delirious and wearing dirty secondhand clothes. Walker described him as, quote, rather the worse for wear. That man was Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar was semi-conscious and unable to move, so Walker asked Edgar if he had anyone in Baltimore that might be able to help him. Edgar said Joseph E. Snodgrass, uh, who was a magazine editor who had some medical training, So Walker wrote a letter to Snodgrass saying that Edgar, quote, appears in great distress and he says he is acquainted with you. He is in need of immediate assistance. After Walker found Edgar on the street, Edgar was taken to the Washington Medical College, where he died October 7th at 5 a.m. During the hospital stay, he was never coherent long enough to explain what had happened to him or to explain the fact that he was wearing someone else's clothes. Edgar allegedly said the name Reynolds repeatedly on the night of his death. Although to this day, no one has a clue who Reynolds could have been. Interesting. Um, I guess if it ever happened to me, it would be Ryan or Bert. But I guess my vote is more on Ryan. I doubt I'm going to be screaming about Bert Reynolds. But I guess it depends where I'm at mentally yep. at the moment. Yep. Uh, but what about the cause of death? Newspapers at the time quoted his death certificate, saying that Edgar's death was listed as phrenitis, or swelling of the brain. Phrenitis was a term used most commonly in the Middle Ages to describe mental confusion or continuous delirium with fever. The term is no longer used in science. Instead, the diagnosis now would be meningitis or encephalitis. But the actual cause of death remains a mystery to this day. All of the medical records have since been lost, including Edgar's death certificate. Some have speculated the possible causes of death could be heart disease, diabetes, epilepsy, syphilis, cholera, or rabies. Other potential causes are going to be presented to you now in a section I've just given up and titled Theories. <laughs> I don't think that's giving up. It is what it
3: is.
4: (laughs) It's just two women getting by. Getting by. So, one theory, uh, it is said Edgar struggled with alcohol for most of his life. Right. It has been said that he couldn't handle alcohol very well and that he would be staggering drunk after a single glass of wine. Apparently, his sister Rosalie was the same way. But just months before his death, uh, he joined the temperance movement and had given up alcohol altogether. Apparently, while in Richmond, Edgar fell quite ill, but managed to make a miraculous recovery. He was supposedly told by a doctor that another such attack would prove fatal, to which Edgar allegedly replied that if people wouldn't tempt him, he wouldn't fail. So many believe that Edgar met someone in Baltimore that tempted him back to alcohol. Even Snodgrass, the guy who Walker wrote to for help, claimed that Edgar's cause of death was alcohol. In fact, Snodgrass, who was a member of the temperance movement, gave lectures across the country, blaming Edgar's death on binge drinking. Snodgrass also claims at one point that he could smell booze on Poe's breath. However... That feels more like someone saying whatever he needed to to sell more tickets to his lectures. Not to mention, someone cut a lock of hair from Edgar after his death in 1849 and from Virginia after her death in 1847. Apparently, it was a common practice in the 19th century. The locks of hair were kept by family members before being donated to the Poe Society in 2006 they agreed to let 3 strands of hair from each lock be tested for heavy metals and Edgar's sample was found to show low levels of lead which quote is an indication that Poe remained faithful to his vow of sobriety up until his demise. So uh, I I guess they're saying alcohol is no longer a plausible plausible uh cause of death. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm, of course, not ruling it out because you can't rule anything out when you don't know. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, Another one, a public health researcher argued in 1999 that Edgar's death was a result of carbon monoxide poisoning from coal gas that was used for indoor lighting during the 19th century. But as stated moments ago, Poe's hair was tested for heavy metals, which should reveal the presence of coal gas. Those results were inconclusive, which many feel discredited this new theory. So sure, Uh, that heavy metal testing maybe didn't show alcohol binging or carbon monoxide poisoning, but what it did reveal was elevated levels of mercury in Edgar's system in the months before his death. Some believe this could be a result of the cholera epidemic that Edgar was exposed to in July 1849 while he was in Philadelphia. Edgar's doctor at the time had prescribed calomel or mercury chloride. And while mercury poisoning could explain Edgar's hallucinations before his death, the levels, while high, were still 30 times below the level consistent with mercury poisoning. Hmm. And I doubt this was a Jeremy Piven sushi situation.
3: I literally wrote down Jeremy Piven. <laughs> I was going to bring it up in my thoughts. You and
4: I. Well, I hope you still do. Well, uh, stand by. Yeah. Um. So, me- heavy metal poisoning. I don't know. Another option. Rabies. At a clinical pathologic conference in 1996. Doctors were given patients with a list of symptoms and then told to diagnose and compare with the other doctors. One such patient file was for Edgar, although the file listed him as, quote, a writer from Richmond with the initials EP. Based on the symptoms, doctors at the conference believed that EP had succumbed to rabies. When Edgar was admitted to the hospital, he was lethargic and confused, And from there, his condition worsened as he started to exhibit delirium, visual hallucinations, wide variations in pulse rate, and rapid, shallow breathing. Four days later, he was dead. And the median length of survival for after onset rabies is four days. Interesting. Apparently, rabies was quite common in the 19th century, but the theory isn't 100%. There was no evidence of any sort of animal bite. Also, there was no evidence of hydrophobia. And apparently those inflicted or afflicted with rabies develop a fear of water? Huh. Yeah. I don't know. I should have double-checked that. Well, I should have triple-checked that, but um, just doing her best. Yep. Uh, it was said that during his hospital stay, Edgar was reportedly drinking water now how would he get rabies is a whole other question and i'm not saying it absolutely wasn't rabies but i'm i'm just saying anything's possible yeah <laughs> we got uh, we got more we got more it could still be something else uh edgar's odd behavior prior to his death has made some believe that he was possibly suffering from a brain tumor Nearly 30 years after Edgar was buried, his coffin was dug up and his remains were exhumed. Apparently, as the coffin was being raised, it fell apart as workers tried to move it from one graveyard to another. Not much remained of Edgar's body at that point, but one worker noticed a mass rolling around inside of Edgar's skull. At the time, newspapers reported the clump was Edgar's brain. However, now based on advances in science, we know the mass uh, could not have been Edgar's brain as the brain is one of the first parts of the body to rot after death. I did not know that. Some say it rots long before. That was a maybe a television reference. I don't know. I grew up hearing TV rots your brain and it's like I liked (laughs) it. I think it's fine. And now I can't remember a simple word. When I'm at a store and it's like, oh no, maybe this is TV. <laughs> it was a good way, it was a good way to go. I had a good run. Sure. Uh, an author intrigued by the idea of this unknown mass uh, contacted a forensic pathologist, who said that while the lump couldn't have been the brain, it could have been a tumor, which can calcify after death. Another physician believed that Edgar had a lesion on his brain that caused him to have adverse reactions to alcohol. Which maybe explains why he has a glass and he's done. Right, yeah. Who knows? So could it have been a brain tumor of some sort? Maybe. Uh, It's also possible that Edgar suffered from the flu or possible pneumonia at the time of his death. The night before Edgar left Richmond, he visited a doctor who later said he had a weak pulse and a fever. He was warned not to travel as he was too sick. It was raining the day he was found. Is it possible Edgar had the flu and the cold, wet weather only exasperated his symptoms? A high fever might account for hallucinations and confusion. Again, anything's possible. Another theory is that Edgar was a victim of an assault. Some have claimed that Edgar ran into old friends from West Point who convinced him to join them for drinks. And then after a single drink, Edgar was incredibly drunk, left to wander the streets alone. In this state, they believe Edgar was robbed and beaten by a group of ruffians uh, who left him in the street and he succumbed to possible injuries. Now, was he assaulted I don't know. I mean, I don't have an autopsy report to read, so I can't say for sure, but in all of the reading I have done about this, I have not heard of any obvious physical injuries that might have resulted from a beating so
3: and it feels like if there had been signs of that, they would not have shied away from publishing that public- like publicly.
4: Oh, you wouldn't think so they uh, they would know uh the more gruesome you make it, your- yeah article the more people are going to buy your papers
3: yeah like you know like beaten edgar Edgar Allan poe found beaten on the street like i feel like would be
4: oh yeah a (laughs) hundred percent um which leads me to uh i may not be sure if it was a beating but some people are convinced that edgar was outright murdered some believe that at the time of his death edgar was engaged to sarah royster his childhood sweetheart Apparently, Sarah's three brothers were very much against this upcoming wedding, so it's believed they ambushed Edgar when he got to Philadelphia. Yes, the person who's so strong about this specific theory strongly believes that Edgar did make a trip to Philadelphia. He claims to have letters and newspapers that back this up. Uh, After this alleged assault, Edgar became frightened disguised himself in new clothing, which is how they're explaining the different clothes, uh, then traveled to Richmond, where he planned to marry Sarah. The belief is the brothers intercepted Edgar in Baltimore, beat him, forced him to drink whiskey, knowing the alcohol would cause a deadly sickness. But there wasn't any evidence to support the theory that Edgar had been binge drinking. So I am not 100% how well this theory stands up. And again, there isn't an autopsy, so I can't say for sure about an assault or an outright murder, as there haven't been any public acknowledgement of any obvious injuries, bruising, wounds, that sort of thing. Now, one theory about his death that I find fascinating is the idea that Edgar was the victim of cooping. Cooping is basically a method of voter fraud that was practiced by gangs in the 19th century. The idea is that a group would abduct an unsuspecting victim, disguise them in different clothing, and force them to vote for a specific candidate multiple times under multiple disguised identities. Voter fraud was extremely common in Baltimore in the mid-1800s, and Gunners Hall, the polling station where Edgar was found, was a known place that Coopers brought their victims. Again, Edgar was found on the day of a sheriff election and wearing clothing that wasn't his. Instead of his usual black wool suit, Edgar was found in a cheap, ill-fitting suit and straw hat. Which feels very un-Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, Wrong clothes in a theory, side note. John Morin uh, was the doctor who watched over Edgar while he was in the hospital. John claims he asked Edgar where his luggage was, but that Edgar couldn't remember. A few weeks later, a cousin of Edgar's found a trunk of his possessions in Baltimore and another one in Richmond. It is said that any manuscripts found inside of the trunk went to Edgar's literary executor, while the rest of the trunk's contents were fought over by Edgar's sister Rosalie and his mother in law Maria. I love that Maria was fighting over his possessions. Uh, so, was he in the wrong clothing because someone forced him to wear clothing as a disguise for the sake of voter fraud? Or was Edgar simply out of it and he'd lost his luggage and he put on the only clothes he could find? I don't know, but back to cooping. <laughs> Voters were sometimes given alcohol as a reward for voting. So if he was forced to vote multiple times, he could have been under the influence, although I'm not sure we believe the theory of Edgar being drunk in his final days. But Edgar was possibly unwell before. Could he have been roughed up by some guys, forced to vote? And if even given just one glass of alcohol was enough to do him in, Maybe it wasn't binge drinking so much as a combination of being unwell and being force-fed a single glass of alcohol. It's possible that they were done using him, Edgar was simply cast aside, and they didn't give a single thought. They just left him out there, and that's where he was found. Uh, however, it doesn't explain why he was in Baltimore, which is even more of a mystery, Regardless as to which theory you believe, the curator of the Poe Museum in Richmond, Chris Sempter, Sempter, said it best with, quote, maybe it's fitting that since he invented the detective story, he left us with a real life mystery. Now, before we get into our own personal theories, just a few final things on Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Uh, Immediately following Edgar's death, his literary rival... Rufus Wilmot Griswold wrote an obituary under the pseudonym Ludwig. Griswold claimed that Edgar was a lunatic and a madman who wandered the streets aimlessly. The obituary started, and I quote, Edgar Allan Poe is dead. He died in Baltimore the day before yesterday. This announcement will startle many, but few will be grieved by it. Jesus, okay. (laughs) Which, if I may once again in our podcast history, quote, share Horowitz, oh, that was way harsh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Apparently, Griswold had a grudge against Edgar since 1842, although he somehow became Edgar's literary executor and used that position to try and destroy Edgar's reputation after his death. He wrote an article called called Memoir of the Author, where he used letters written by Edgar to show that he was a depraved, drunken, drug-addled madman. Many of the claims that he made were either lies or distortions. And while a few did come forward in support of Edgar, claiming that he was not, in fact, addicted to drugs— Griswold's article was the only full biography available, and it was widely reprinted, so it became a popularly accepted biographical source. Oh, and the letters that Griswold used to prove that Edgar was all these terrible things he claimed? They turned out to be forgeries. Wow. So I think we all just learned the lesson of don't let your nemesis write your (laughs) obituary. And I know our dear listeners are thinking, Christy, not everyone has a nemesis. This isn't a Marvel movie. And to that I say, well, some of us do, and she knows what she did. (laughs) (laughs) When Edgar died, uh, his cousins had him buried the very next day. The funeral was sadly described as cold-blooded and unchristian-like It is said that only seven people attended the funeral. And if that isn't sad enough, Edgar was buried in an unmarked grave in a Baltimore graveyard. And while that is all so depressing, especially for such a major author, uh, at least we have... An... Aw, that's nice. Side note. Oh. While his funeral may not have been full of loved ones or fans, Edgar has long since been remembered... Every January 19th, which was his birthday, uh, between 1949 and 2009, a bottle of cognac and three roses were left at Edgar's original grave marker by someone calling themselves the Poe Toaster. Which, not a writer themselves, huh? <laughs> it's, it's fine. Uh, I just think it's very sweet that they did that for 60 years. Wow. A lot of questions. Uh, Years later, Maria, Virginia's mother, learned that the grave where Edgar had been buried had become overgrown with weeds, so she wrote to cousin Nielsen Poe for help. Nielsen ordered a marble headstone to be carved for Edgar. Due to the weight of the stones and the difficulty moving them, the monument yard was right next to the railroad line. Before the headstone could be installed a train ran off the tracks and the headstone was completely destroyed. Nielsen could not afford a second headstone. In 1873, a poet published a plea in a newspaper for Edgar's grave to be restored to a, quote, glory befitting his fame. A teacher in Baltimore raised some money with her class and after receiving extra funds from a wealthy publisher, Edgar's (laughs) coffin uh, was exhumed But more than two decades of buried decay had not been kind to Edgar's coffin or the corpse within it, and the coffin fell apart as the workers tried to move it. Edgar was reburied in 1875. Also in 1875, the cemetery where Virginia was buried was destroyed. I don't know how, but I guess, and this feels like the wrong word to use, luckily, Virginia's remains survived as they weren't in the cemetery when it was destroyed. A Poe fan and biographer named William Gill had exhumed Virginia's remains at some point prior, and he kept them in a box under his bed for several years before handing them over. Uh, Virginia was finally buried next to her husband in 1885. Oh, my God. I don't know how long he had those bones, but that's horrifying. Um, And if I may be indulged with one final side note for the day, I give you, we've heard about Edgar's whole family, but what about his sister's side note? Rosalie. As you may recall from earlier, when their mother died, Rosalie was only one, and she was sent to live with the wealthy Mackenzie family. It appears Rosalie wasn't really treated as a true Poe family member, and that was probably due to her paternity, especially since David Poe abandoned the family in July 1809, and Rosalie was born in December 1810. There is speculation that her biological father was John Howard Payne, who was a prominent actor at the time. John and Eliza performed together around the time that she would have conceived, but it was also speculated that Joseph Gallego uh, was Rosalie's father as he bequeathed her $2,000 in his will and the remaining $8,000 of his fortune went specifically to the Mackenzie family who were taking care of Rosalie. Rosalie was the only charity bequest in Joseph's will, which feels like, why are you doing that? Yeah, you know, uh, Rosalie was described as dull, and never progressing beyond the developmental age of 12. Oh. But I've also read that she made a living uh, teaching writing for nine years. And I think that people just didn't give her any credit. Again, because her paternity wasn't known. And back then people were dicks about that kind of thing. But Rosalie once said, quote, I often feel as if I could write poetry. I have it all in my head, but somehow can't get it clear enough to write it down. So maybe she just had a learning disability and people back then, again, dicks. Uh, The Mackenzie family's wealth was devastated by the Civil War and further so when Edgar died. Not to mention the fact that Rosalie's foster brother, John Hamilton Mackenzie, used Rosalie's entire $2,000 inheritance. The financial difficulties caused the Mackenzies to separate, leaving Rosalie on her own. It is unknown as to whether the Mackenzies treated Rosalie like a member of the family or as merely a ward that they took in, but since they abandoned her the moment the money stopped coming in, I think we have our answer. Yeah. Cousin Nielsen Poe, uh, who you may recall from the uh, moment he said uh, he tried to get Edgar to not marry Virginia, because Virginia was a child, Um, he uh, had tried to stop that wedding from happening. He apparently only felt really strongly about Virginia's well-being, because Rosalie, when she was destitute, he just refused to help her. Again, could have been a paternity thing, I don't know. And almost the worst part to me uh, is that meant that Rosalie couldn't afford to take out the letters of administration that she needed to receive her inheritance from Edgar's will, which means she received nothing. Oh, God. Uh huh. In her last years, Rosalie briefly worked as a housekeeper, but ended up wandering the streets trying to sell signatures of Edgar's that she herself had forged. She also sold pictures of Edgar and furniture that she told people were Poe artifacts. Basically, she thrived solely on the kindness of strangers. She was admitted to the Epiphany Church home in Washington, D.C., where she died July 21st, 1874, from an inflammation of the stomach. She was 68 years old. Her burial was arranged by and paid for Edgar Allan Poe fans. Oh, who listed her birth year as 1812 on her tombstone, which is a year after her mother died. Uh, But back then it was customary to list the birth date as the time someone was baptized. So it's possible Rosalie was baptized in 1812, as that is the same year Edgar was also baptized. But to all of this, I say, hashtag justice for Rosalie. yeah. Uh, During his lifetime, Edgar Allan Poe was mostly recognized as a literary critic, but since then he has come to be regarded as a central figure of romanticism in the United States. He was also a central figure in American literature as a whole, as he was one of the earliest practitioners of a short story. Edgar is credited with the invention of detective fiction. Uh, The detective fiction genre, rather, uh, with the 1841 release of his story, The Murders in the Rue Morgue. He was also credited with contributing to the emerging genre of science fiction. Edgar Allan Poe was a huge inspiration to so many writers. His detective fiction inspired Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who we all know as the creator of Sherlock Holmes. And since I like to let Blanche have at least one moment every episode, shout out to Benedict Cumberbatch and Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Just because I can <laughs> Of course. Uh, Edgar's science fiction writing influenced the likes of Jules Verne and H.G. Wells, and his horror stories influenced H.P. Lovecraft and Alfred Hitchcock, who once said, quote, It's because I liked Edgar Allan Poe's stories so much that I began to make suspense films. Edgar also influenced America's foremost cryptologist, William Friedman, who read The Gold Bug as a child. Later in life, Friedman would use his cryptology skills to decipher Japan's purple code during World War II. And speaking of The Gold Bug, the story is set at Sullivan's Island in Charleston, South Carolina, where there is now a restaurant called Poe's Tavern. And at Fell's Point in Baltimore, the bar where Edgar allegedly was last seen drinking uh, before his death. The bar is still standing. It is now called (laughs) The Horse You Came In On. And a local legend claims that a ghost haunts a room above the bar. So, of course, naturally, the ghost is named Edgar. His name is also given to an award every spring... Mystery Writers of America present the Edgar Awards for the most distinguished work in the genre of mystery. It is said they are the most prestigious awards in the genre. The first Edgar Award was given out in 1954 and continues to this day, proving that while Edgar didn't get the recognition he deserved in his lifetime, he is still regarded fondly more than a century later. Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails, I'm Christy Oxborough. (sighs)
3: Oh, you did a great job. Listen. Oh, you were too kind. I uh, know, I speak the truth. Um, I have so many thoughts. And you'll also be proud of me because my chaotic <laughs> yeah. notes I kept in order somehow.
4: Oh, like a boss.
3: It's it's a first for me. But I also have to pee. So let's hit the yeah. hit the can, grab a drink. We'll be right back with our final thoughts on Edgar Allan Poe on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Uh, look, I've taken a lot of notes. Yeah. Is what it is. So let's just get into them. Um, And I'm proud of myself because I've kept them in somewhat of an order, which is a first for me. All right. It doesn't mean that they're not chaotic and I'm not going to go all <laughs> over the place, but. There is something very interesting to me about this 24 thing. The fact that there's three deaths, right? It was 3. Yeah. His wife, his brother and his mother, yeah. biological mother. <laughs> I'll get to my thoughts on that in a second, but that that's the first thing of course that obviously stood out to me. Sure. I find it interesting that you said that he criticized someone for plagiarism in theme I can't remember the exact term, but then he, he, I mean, he did the same thing. I mean, he, he started writing stories based on true crime and he started, which is amazing and revolutionary, but it's interesting that he criticized someone for not being original. And then he was doing things that were unoriginal. Um, Again, that's not a criticism of him. It's just interesting. Yeah. I have questions. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And for I don't think you can probably hear it on the recording, maybe you can, but it should be noted that during the second half or like the second part of our record, um, the thunderstorm really kicked up a notch. And yeah. every time you mentioned the name Maria, there was like a huge like boom of thunder and I was like, mm-hmm, okay, I'm not going to sleep tonight, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, and right now, like I can hear the sound of the rain, I can hear the thunder, like I feel like I'm in one of his stories. That's all I'm going to say. That's Um, horrifying. It's terrifying. I have, oh, I don't even know where to begin with this theory, but here, here we go. First of all, the fact that his mother was basically raised by a traveling theater group as somebody who considers themselves a theater person. I worked in theater for some time. That's not a life for a child. (laughs) So that's, mm-hmm. you know, that was my first thought on that. I was just like, oh, wow, no, this, no no child should be raised uh, by us. That's just not, that's not the way to go. <laughs> um, I find it interesting that it seems like he had this success that came out of nowhere. Sure. And he obviously has this kind of troubled family line with with all of the death which feels very heavy yeah and then at one point I just wrote down deal like Ryan Murphy (laughs) (sighs) I don't I'm
4: not saying yeah. that
3: I feel that he made a deal with a devil, like I alleged in the Glee, the, the Glee curse episode of this show, which if you haven't listened yeah. to you got to because it's one of the funniest episodes we've ever recorded, which is funny <laughs> because how is true crime funny? Well, we weren't making fun of the crimes. Um, we went on a tangent. But anyway. We did. It just feels to me like there's something about this family that's off. Like, mm-hmm. did somebody make a deal with somebody? Is there some sort of, for lack of a better term, curse? I don't know. Like, it just feels like there's so much death. And the fact that then he made a career that was about death in the sense that he was, again, the first one writing in that way. That he had this kind of macabre, uh, to use your word, Thank um, you? tone. Tone. It just feels interesting to me. The fact, again, that the number 24, the fact that it seemed like he was very troubled. I don't know. The fact that he got immense success, but then, of course, obviously much more success after his death. I always wonder that if, in the grand scheme of anything being possible, Of course. If we believe, in the grand scheme of anything being possible, that someone could make a deal with I don't know, an unseen entity. Sure. I've often wondered like, you know, a Twilight Zone episode or whatever where it's like if somebody makes a deal, but then of course there's like, there's a, you know, a consequence that you didn't see coming. So for example, if somebody makes a deal that they want to be ultra famous that they actually don't ever get to experience it while they're alive. Like the consequence would be that they become ultra famous after they die or something. The, you
4: because, know. because of how they die or something. Right. That's what makes them ultra famous. Yeah, I get it.
3: Right. Like I, it just feels like, and I know that it's easy to go there because there's so much lore about this person, but the fact that his headstone got dis- destroyed in that way, like it just feels like something else is going on here to me. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm coming into this as a newbie, so I'm sure there's, there's probably experts who are listening right now who are shouting at me like, we know, Lauren, or whatever, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I just also think it's interesting that his sister had these same kind of instincts about feeling like she was a poet, but felt like she couldn't get her thoughts out or what have you. Sure. You know, I, of course, immediately was like, did she not? make the deal because she lived into her 60s which at the time was actually a pretty long life right you know is it again because it seemed i'm not saying that he was given talent it's possible they all seemed like creatives again his mom being an artist being a performer etc they all had talent but did some of them take a deal and some of them not how did they get the deal, Lauren? I can't answer that. I don't know how these unseen entities work. I am just positing, is it possible? Sure. Um. It's interesting to me also the way he talked about Sarah, uh, not Sarah, excuse me, Virginia. And when he said to her, like, there's no one alive that's as good as you or as beautiful or whatever. And I right. was like- That's interesting. Is there someone dead who's more beautiful or who you regard in a higher manner than her? Like, it's just an interesting- Like his
4: mother? That's a whole other- That's a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah.
3: But that struck me. I was like, that wording is interesting.
4: Yeah. It's not the the most beautiful in the world. It's specifically- Alive. Yeah. You're the only one living who makes this- awful life that i lead okay and it's like i don't yeah again i just butchered his probably very beautiful words but yeah i didn't care for how he wrote it
3: it was just interesting to me it was an interesting way of wording it um i wrote down reynolds was his rosebud doesn't matter um (laughs) now here's something i'm going to talk about about his death go with me on this for a second I know someone in real life who was a very heavy drinker. Okay. Sure. Um, And there was a couple of days, I think it was only one or two days, that through happenstance, this person didn't drink. And so this is a person who was a very heavy drinker, drinker, drank every, 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 every day for years, decades. And then there was one, it may have only been one, but it may have been two days that they didn't drink, and they ended up having a seizure. I don't know what the medical terminology is, so forgive me. Again, if I had more time, I would research and present sure. present a better theory, but of I'm running on the fly here. I don't know what the, the medical term was. But basically, this person was essentially in withdrawal in whatever way. Like Their body had become... Um, not only accustomed to, but needed. Essentially, at that point, the alcohol to right. function. When they didn't receive it, they had a seizure. And at that time, this person was basically informed: "If you ever drink again, you will die." It was one of these things where it's like you've had this happen, and now you can't go. The, you can't go back. Was basically the whole right. thing. So my question is: because as I was hearing all of this, kind of get explained about. Edgar here. My question is Is it possible that it was a situation like that, where we know that he was into drinking, regardless of how much or how little he could drink? We know that he was a drinker. And is it possible that he didn't drink for a day or two, or however much time, and had a similar thing happen? And then, like, had a seizure, and then that's what he found himself on the streets out of sorts doing God knows what. Right. Is it possible that he got mixed up with this cooping scheme? Because it does also feel like that was a real possibility. Sure. Is it possible that – because you also – I also know that there was, like, with, you know, the the one poet Sarah that he was engaged to where she was like, you can't drink, and he only lasted a couple of days – Is it possible, again, he had an adverse reaction to not drinking then, went back on the alcohol, and then that made his system even worse, that then if he took a day off later, he had this seizure causing the swelling in the brain. I don't know a lot about seizures. I'm assuming that that's probably possible. Um, Sure. Hit his head, God knows what. Who knows what, again, we're also dealing with autopsies at a time that are not as advanced as they are now, obviously. Sure. Is it possible that that could have had something to do with it? Is it possible that this was about a withdrawal to alcohol medical situation Um, that then maybe either he went back on alcohol and it fucked him or either like he had the seizure because he went off for too long or he he went off and then went back on and that fucked him. And then that ended up killing him.
4: A hundred percent.
3: That just stood out to me again, because I do know a person in real life who had complications in those ways that I was like, right. I feel like there could be something to that. Right. Um, that again, it feels like, because it said that there was no alcohol in his hair, hair sample when they did that, right. s- that test. So it's like, okay, well, was it that he was drinking, 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 Gave it up at that one point for a few days, had an adverse reaction, went back on it, which is actually we know now, based on this person I know, you can't do that. Right. He ran out the clock for however long, and then he gave it up again, and when he gave it up that second time, it was lights out. Good night, nurse. I don't know. It's possible. Um, it I, Again, I, I don't know that I buy the rabies thing, because there didn't seem to be any... Yeah. Signs of, of how that would have happened. The beating, again, it's like, well, I just feel like a new, any newspaper, if there was any signs of it, it would have been reported. Yeah. I'm sure they would have wanted to make it seem like he was murdered if they could have told that story at the time. You know, it just feels to me like, is the truth, you know, often the simplest ex- explanation is the truth. Is it? Again, this cooping thing, it sounds like there could be something there based on the clothes is it a combination of that yeah. and alcohol or whatever? I also think it's interesting about uh, his his first love, Sarah, the, the widow, who he went back to, and then she had this terrible deal where it was like, you get all this money, but if you remarry, you lose it. And then I was like, that's so misogynistic and horrible, obviously. But then I was like, but I wonder, did he do that to try and protect her from being taken advantage of?
4: Interesting. Or
3: did she just say that? Because <laughs> <laughs> she later said she never would have married him. Was she did she just say, like, oh, I'll lose three-quarters of this? I can't marry you. Because he seemed like somebody who was, you know, again, unhinged. He went back to these, <laughs> he went back to these women. After Virginia died and was like, hey, you, let's get together and let's get married immediately. Like, it felt like he was a little it, intense, you know?
4: It, it felt very, I can't be alone. Right. I don't know how to physically do this. Or it's like Virginia's death somehow triggered something in his brain from his childhood. Because it's possible all three children were there watching their mother and being sick and then watched her die. So there could be something in his brain of this young, sees a beautiful young woman die, and in his brain he gets put off to this life that he didn't enjoy because he didn't like living with the people he was living with. So it's possible that triggered something in his brain where he was like, oh, no, I can't, I have to, I have to be with somebody. And he's just grasping at straws.
3: Which is sad too, you know, I'm sure that when you have that much loss and death around you, of course you want to try and hang on to people and, and look, sure. I get it, like, that makes sense, but again, I just question, you know, was Sarah looking out for
4: number one, which I would also I respect. Get it. I get it. It was a lot of money, especially for that point in time, so.
3: I could see, but again, I, I could see her being like, I got to make something up so that people don't just try and take advantage of me. I put it out there. Sure. Um every time you said Griswold, all I could think of was a good old Griswold family Christmas. Like every single time it's I'm, I'm programmed. Um, sure. I just think overall again, like the Rosalie story is so tragic. The Virginia story about her remains getting exhumed and kept under a bed yeah. is very tragic. That's nobody deserves that. Nope. To me again, if I was if I was going to put any energy into any sort of supernatural type thing, and the fact that this person became such a pinnacle in those kinds of genres that they didn't really exist prior to him, per se. Sure. Um I don't know. I think that there could have been some of that going on. I mean, it never thunderstorms in LA and we've got a big old thunderstorm happening now. I mean, I've lived here. I don't know how long, I don't know how long (laughs) I could figure it out if I thought about it, just getting by. Um, I've lived here, what eight, nine years now, eight years. And I don't, I don't remember a thunderstorm ever like this here ever. And then the night we're recording this episode, like again, of course you could say it's a coincidence Of course, that is the logical explanation. But it's not the fun explanation. It's not the interesting explanation, which is it just feels like this is a lot for one person to have surrounding them and surrounding all of the people connected to them. I just think there's something else there. There's something else there. It feels, again, like why did he change from the parrot to the raven? Did he call on, I don't know, did he call on something else to give him some advice? I don't know. Or again, I'm
4: wondering, did he just read it out loud and go, "Ah"? <laughs> again, probably true.
3: It's a bit but
4: jovial, isn't it's, it? it?
3: Too jovial. <laughs> I guess I just think overall, to me, the amount of death, the amount, and I know that death was big back then. And the other, oh, the only other thought I had was, no wonder everyone got married so young because they knew, hey, if we last. I'll be able to have a second marriage in no time because people people died so young, it sounds like, obviously from from these terrible uh, disorders, um, uh, viruses. But yeah, I don't know. It it just feels to me overall, I think that the alcohol played a factor. I think that the cooping could have been a factor, obviously. And I do think, if I'm being honest, in my world where anything could be possible... Of course. I think there's something else going on. And listen, it may not have even been him making the deal. It may have been his mother making the deal for her own wanting fame or what have you. And then we just see the ripple effects of, again, let this be a lesson. Don't make deals with devils or demons. It's
4: never going to pay off. I mean... I, I think I'm too scared to ever even try. Yes! Although tonight, uh, before we recorded, we got into a conversation where I believe my quote was, I can make a hex bag. <laughs> that was said. That was Super, said. Supernatural has made me feel like I'm possible, like I could do anything. Uh, and not in a positive way. Um, could I do a hex bag? Yeah, sure. I mean, it also depends on, like, can I just, like, get the stuff from, like, Amazon and eBay? Or, like, do I have to go, like, hunt through some woods for some random stuff? I mm, no. Look, I'm so, not going
3: to handle eyes of newts. You know what I mean? Like, that's not oh,
4: happening. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't... know. There's so many things I don't want to deal with, and I'm going to force myself to not Google hex bags. Nope, don't do after, it. After, and I can't do even... Not do it. I can't even... <laughs> Bring that energy in. Nope. I don't have it in me to bring that energy if
3: in. Because if we start to go down that road, then the next thing you know is I'm going to be ordering giant bags of salt and then salting the perimeter of my home and we
4: can't go down that road either because that's... Oh. Well, you say we can't and I'm like, we should already be we there. We should have done it. Well, but I'd like a system where it's like built into the house. So a breeze can't per se get rid of your salt. Because all you have to do is open a door and then it's like, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> then you're dumping salt again. Yeah, it's too much. There salt. are a lot of people who might not understand these things, but uh, supernatural, man. It gets in your soul. It Well,
3: hopefully it doesn't because we've seen what can happen yeah. if it does.
4: I'm also realizing you commented about the last flight was like an October... Around Thanksgiving, and that's what the flight was for. It was for our it supernatural convention. It didn't even dawn on me. That's
3: what that was. Yeah, for. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot kind of happening in the ether right now. Ether? Yeah. Uh, another thing oh, that was brought up. I don't want to yeah. think about it too hard, is my point. Yeah. Because I want to sleep we, tonight.
4: We aren't putting things out there, universe. No, we're just we're not commenting. not putting negative things. No. We, we we're just joy. saying. Yeah. <laughs> It's the way your voice cracks in terror at the word joy. Yep.
3: It's joy. It's joy. I like it a lot. Anyway. (laughs) Evermore. (laughs) Anyway, uh, those are my thoughts. Uh, Do you have any additional thoughts rolling Uh, around in your noodle?
4: There is something to be said. Again, three of them dying at 24 from the same thing feels very, I don't know, it feels very, uh, that Jim Carrey movie, what was that called? The number 23, oh, whatever right. it is, where he sees, like, once that number comes up, he sees it everywhere and it's like, that movie freaks me out to my core because I believe it. <laughs> right. <laughs> to me, it, it's a documentary. It's not a, <laughs> a movie. Yeah. I know it's a movie, but I, I get it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I get that. I see those numbers. I started, I had to stop myself. Um... When I was looking into something else, I was like, oh, that number keeps coming up. And then I started like going through random dates to see if I could find the number to find more things. And I was like, you need to stop. You're a full crazy person at this point. But there is something uh, like a weird connection about it that I don't know how to explain. My gut says something. I mean, I think alcohol was probably involved, but I I could not lean more towards this whole cooping idea, because nothing sounds more, yeah, I bet that happens, than, you know, voter fraud and, like, gangs of men abducting people and forcing them to vote, like, the way they want them to. That feels very plausible and a little too today for my liking, um... Not unlike researching tuberculosis and going, God, that's similar to COVID. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And not not liking that because then that also feels a little too today for my liking. Yeah. Uh, which is so weird to come up with multiple things when you're talking about a case from the 1800s. Uh, but yeah, I I mean, there is something about the fact that, I mean, the poor guy, he got like a couple of years out of the Raven and... That was it, but didn't, you know, hit the level like most people know who he is based on just you hear his name and you're like, yeah, I've heard that poem. And even if you haven't read it, you know the words nevermore from yeah. it. So it's just crazy that back then he didn't get acknowledged for it based on all the, you know, creating detective genre and all of that. And he's the reason Nancy Drew exists, which... Shout out to Ed Edgar and Poe for making it so that Nancy Drew can exist in this right? world. Um, and I'd say the Hardy Boys, but fuck them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I only say that because I heard that for like an, an anniversary, I don't know which one, I'm not going to bother looking it up, um, that they were going to bring back Nancy Drew. And I was like, oh, here we go. And the plan, I don't know if it's changed, but the plan was they were going to kill her off and have the Hardy Boys, like, look into her murder. And I was like, but it's about her. And you're going to kill her off and make it about the men? Fuck off. Like, that's... Stop it. Hashtag justice Nancy Drew.
3: Justice for Nancy. I, uh...
4: My God. Oh, the point is, I feel like he did so much, but then didn't get to, like, see the fruits of that labor. But there's something about that last, you know, from the time his wife died to just, like, grasping at straws, trying to find a wife. And it's like, it's it's fine. You'll be fine. But it was like, in his brain, he has to be married or that's it. And how quickly he went to one woman and she was like, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, okay. And I mean, I've seen photos. I don't get it.
3: But was that part of a spell
4: or whatever? That it, well, like he
3: looked more attractive to them than he actually was?
4: Oh, I just thought hot in old times meant something way different.
3: Well, I think that that's probably true, too. But,
4: you know. But again, everybody <laughs> has their own eye for something else. Because, I mean, good God, I personally think... Um, that Megan Fox is a beautiful woman and I don't understand how she feels the same way about Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah. Uh, He terrifies me, if I'm being honest. But so does anybody who purposely dyes their tongue for an outfit. I can't. The point (laughs) is, Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, and maybe he was the right, uh it was the right heat back then that it was like we should get married oh, okay and then oh hey that didn't work out we should get married fine but then to be like well we weren't going to get married and it's like but you were engaged when you were kids but it's just it's weird to me that she wouldn't accept one way or the other but Yeah, I lean towards the voting stuff because that feels so real. Plausible. And I I know it was a real thing back then. Logical, yeah. And I know it happened, but it feels like, oh, that makes sense. So that's where I'm at. But ever since we first got into, I believe it was Elisa Lamb was the first time that you were like, maybe. And then like demons and, you know... Making deals and all that sort of thing came into our world. I had not considered it before then, but now it's like, how many coincidences are too many? That's my point.
3: At some point, it feels like something else.
4: Yes. Yeah. I mean, every time I said that woman's name, Uh, yeah, in the second half, Thunder Rolled. Yeah. That was a bit of Garth Brooks. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm not even a fan, and I don't know why that but, I went there. But but shout out to to Garth and to Chris Gaines,
3: <gasps> Chrissy Oxboro, You knocked it out of the park as always. Thank you so much for your work. I was so excited about this episode because again I came in blind, sure. and now I can see.
4: Thank you for bringing up Chris Gaines. <laughs> You're welcome. Because we're gonna say Garth. None of us forgot. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Hashtag you do it. Never forget. Never forget.
4: (laughs) Never more.
3: Um, We so appreciate you, dear listeners, for listening to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. If you haven't already, what are you doing? Give us a follow on social medias. Instagram, God willing, is back now. So follow us, True Crime and Cocktails, uh, the same on Facebook and YouTube. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Not Detectives. Of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash crime And cocktails. And as we mentioned before, our merch store, truecrewmerch.com is the only place to get True Crime and Cocktails merch. So head on over there. Give it a gander. It's a passion of mine I didn't know I had. Um, Christy, do you want to tell us about the next episode of the
4: show? Oh. I mean, yeah. Um, make sure I'm reading that right. On the next True Crime and Cocktails, the Gardner Museum
3: heist. Now, I'm very excited about this uh, because I think this is in the news now because there's a documentary about it, correct? Yeah. And I can't wait to do our first heist. We've never done a heist if you're a devout listener of this show, thank you. And you'll also know that we like to do true crime sometimes that doesn't involve death, doesn't involve a murder. So this is a great opportunity for that. It's a heist. Uh, I, I can't wait to learn all about it.
4: And sometimes it's nice to give the people who research the show a, a break from death. Sometimes
3: people <laughs> go too deep down a hole into <laughs> things like, I don't know, a serial killer named John Wayne Gacy And then they need a break from uh, You know mm-hmm. the murder of of Young people uh, or children yeah. Or pedophile rings so uh, yeah, Go with us dear listeners On this crazy <laughs> Tale of a heist um, Because we need it So that we don't <laughs> We don't burn out Um yeah Christy do you want to say goodnight to the people
4: Good night, Dave girl
3: night, future time traveling us